young, still a real young guy, super talented. Anyway, so welcome. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome back to another Tech News Around the World, where my friend Johan was talking about where he and I were in a Nordic tech lunchroom on the topic of Swedish meeting culture, which is quite unique. And many of my Swedish friends were pinging me in the room to make a comment as an American working in Sweden, as I have now for nearly a decade, because Swedes themselves often bemoan the fact of that they know they are prone to schedule having meetings to schedule future meetings. And it becomes meetings about making meetings and it starts driving people a bit crazy, especially Americans. And I jumped in to say, I don't actually mind it. I love Swedish meetings because the posture with which people go into those meetings is one of um, sincere collaboration where everyone is going to share very transparently all of their cards and figure out um, how we can make the most of all of the cards that we have into the most valuable hand for all of us. And it's uh, it's unique because they when you're in a meeting, they whoever it is in Sweden, and this is what I love most singularly. There's a lot of things I love about Sweden, as they know, but this never gets out. It's it's never, and I get interviewed a lot about what is the secret sauce of why there's so many unicorns coming out of Stockholm. Like we're now up to, we just broke 20, by the way, out of a city with a million people. And uh, the, I always bring up, everyone talks about the schools and the free computer program everyone had in the eighties and blah, blah, blah. To me, the secret sauce is that in a, a meeting, the point of the meeting is to very sincerely um, come to a real honest understanding of what's in this for you and what's in this for me. And are you sure you're okay with this arrangement? And are, is everybody happy? We're not going to move forward unless everybody's happy. Is everybody happy? Are you sure you're happy? Let's have another meeting next week just to make sure we're still all happy about this. And in doing that, everyone really gets a chance to voice any concerns that they have or any fears that they have and be very honest about you know their concerns and coming up with the really optimal path forward for everybody involved so that everyone's interests are aligned as best as possible and they take great care in doing that and they're very concerned about the person they're negotiating with on the other end of the table to make sure they're happy because they know if the, even the person you're negotiating with isn't happy the deal will fall apart even after you've made the agreement there, I, that is, takes a bit of profound understanding uh, that I endlessly admire and appreciate. And so I don't mind all the Swedish meeting. I love going into them because you go into the meeting with your shoulders down and you leaned back in your chair with a really nice cup of coffee and the incredible cinnamon buns. And everyone's got everyone else's interest in mind. It's not a competition to see who can outmaneuver and get the most, it's not like a poker hand where you're trying to bluff and, and get the most chips and walk away with all the chips. It's not that at all. So it's not like a clubhouse room. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm just summarizing what I said uh, uh, in, the, in that room. And then there's a Finns in that room because it's the Nordic Tech Lunchroom and Finns are entirely different, but equally impressive in that they have military efficiency with their meeting structure or culture where they go into a meeting w with as if it's a military operation 
you know, with, you know, uh, and the efficiency and the lack of time wasting and the focus and the, the end goal and the steps to achieve that goal. And what are the steps and are the steps realistic? Can we get from step one to two to three to four to five? And then we hit the end goal and we got it. And what's the time frame? We got it done. And we execute. It's move. It's like, it's, it's the closest I you'll ever get. I do too. I adore it. Especially it is very different from Swedish because there's no extra meetings unless, you know, somebody has a problem. And, um, I absolutely love the brutal efficiency of Finnish meetings. And there's, um, so I said that as well. And Auntie, who was in the room, appreciated that as well. So anywho, it, it makes for an interesting meetings when you have both Finnish and Swedes in the room. So um, I, I want say, to say hello to Michael. Michael Genki. Hey, what up? Hisashi Buddy, Michael-san. Hisashi Buddy, now. Nota. Bioki. Choto Bioki, now. Choto, ne? Share, I'll share your story, Michael. He's sick, everybody. I'm okay. I'm okay. Gambate, ne? Fight Okay. All right. Good to see you. So, um, let's jump into it. At the top of the hour here, we start off in the first hour. We're going to go through the 10 biggest headlines at this moment on planet Earth. We're not covering Mars yet. That We might do that. I don't know, next month, whenever whenever we get ready for Mars, we'll let you know. Uh, but today, we're just going to focus on Earth. Um, and these are the 10 biggest news items on planet Earth at the moment, within the tech sphere, of course. The top, Believe it or not, the top is after a user highlighted, um, Twitter confirms uh, that it accidentally verified six accounts that were inauthentic. And now they've been suspended and their badges were removed, thankfully. And this uh, allowed us the opportunity to bring in my friend uh, Jane Wong from Hong Kong when we met here seven hours ago. And Jane is kind of a tech superstar of sorts because she's the source of, Jesus, 20% of all tech articles these days are inspired by her discoveries of all the future products and features and functions that you know all the apps are working on. She's able to uncover those and then all of the blogs race to cover her findings. And um, so, in fact, this was another such of a case where she realized that Twitter had approved six accounts, verified accounts. They had verified six accounts that were bots, which was very strange. And then that she's a very crafty uh, individual and... W- We've worked on a few interesting little experiments together. And then I was curious to see, um, we were trying to figure out, is Twitter's verification process still manual or is it algorithmic yet? Because eventually it will need to be algorithmic so that they can add on, you know, the 100 million users that they have. I think they're up to 250 million, to be fair. So, yeah, uh, was this an algorithmic mistake or a human mistake? And if it's a human mistake, well, that's even worse. That's even more troubling. How could a human not notice that these six accounts all have these interesting similarities, the same followers created on the same time, essentially? And it turns out it is human. That right now what's happening is you can apply to be verified. I myself am verified, but only because I'm 
you know, familiar with the founders and was being recruited by the founders when it was only, you know, 20 people at the company. And that's why Jason, my partner, got at Jason on Twitter. So the the even though Jason Goldman was one of the first five people at Twitter. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, So it is right now when you apply to be verified, you will um, go into a long queue of lots of people who want to be verified. And then apparently the first step is somewhat algorithmic to make sure that if you filled out the form the right way, then you get moved on to the humans. And then a human has to verify it. And then you're verified. And that's why this was so concerning, because it questions whether the the verifying team members who are doing this are themselves potentially corrupted, uh, which is really uh, uh, problematic. And we also, Jane also figured out the way to figure out how many people are being verified each day and who's been verified each day and how they found these six individuals is because there is, Twitter has its own unique Twitter account called Twitter Verified, and it, it follows everyone who they verify. So you can see the past 10 people that they verified in the past 20, in the past 100. And that's how somebody noticed, wait a minute, these six all have something in common. They're all Turkish for one thing. And that kind of set off the red flags and then yada, yada, yada. So Jane joined us and helped us unpack this really interesting story, which is currently the number one story in tech at the moment from The Verge and Gizmoda and 9to5Mac, PC, Mag, CNET. And no doubt the Twitter sphere is going berserk because a lot of people want to get verified and they're wondering how the hell did these six bot accounts get verified? It's quite uh, quite problematic. And it hold that thought because this whole issue around verification is, in fact, one of the big issues in tech in, on the horizon. I mean, in weeks to come, mark my words, this whole issue of identity verification of using the web is about to explode because, well, I need look no further then jumping ahead to the f- one, two, three, fourth biggest tech story of today happens to be that Google ad support for showing logos of verified users as part of an effort to improve email sender authenticity. So if you're a Gmail user, you know, when you look at your inbox, it's a bunch of colored circles of who sent you messages. And if Cheryl sends me an email, I see a little pink circle with a white C, which represents Cheryl because it doesn't have her face as a photo, if, I, if she's not a contact of mine, especially. And then um, when Bank of America sends me an email, it's uh, a blue circle with a white letter B for Bank of America. And now what Google's announcing today is that they've done this partnership where verified users will now have their logos be shown inside of Gmail. So in the case of Bank of America, it will now actually have the Bank of America logo present, which is obviously a huge benefit to me as a Gmail receiver and to Bank of America as a sender and ostensibly a win-win. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is this not obviously the beginnings of verifying all Gmail users potentially? And all Google users and all Facebook users and all Twitter users as Twitter's trying to figure that mess out. And it relates to all the other articles that we've been the top stories of the past two months have been this issue between social media sites and 
countries like uh, Russia and India and Indonesia and everywhere where they're now saying, hey, in the case of India, um, we've got these new IT rules where you as a, a U.S. tech giant platform must give us a monthly report of all the content that you've removed that we've asked you to remove last month. And we want to make sure that you're conforming to our demands and removing all of the words uh, within your platforms that we find offensive or concerning. And you need to give us a monthly report. Now, in that monthly report, it is it does show we removed the word the hashtag resign Modi, you know, 50 billion times. But does it say who used those hashtags? Does it show that Lakeisha used the hashtag resign Modi? And if so, how much of Lakeisha's information is shown? Because uh, you can be very sure that in the case of Russia, for example, Russia really would like to know who are these people that say, fuck Vladimir Putin. You can be absolutely certain that, you know, some of these countries, uh, I, I even, I, I, I am hesitant to even mention one particular Southeast Asian country that Lakeisha and I live in. And if you said something uh, about particular powerful people in this country, you would never be heard from again. They are incredibly interested in who would say such a thing. <laughs> uh, you can go ahead and use your imagination as to some of the things that can't be said in some particular countries um, that would cause you to never, ever be heard or seen from again for the rest of your very short life. So uh, will these countries then, now that, by the way, this leads to the biggest story uh, when we met seven hours ago, which is Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, it says now in BBC and the Times and the Hindu and the Economic Times and everywhere else, he's now saying Google boss Sundar Pichai warns of threats to Internet freedom. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about how countries now are for, have there's this battle between the big tech companies and the countries and the countries are saying, do what we say or else. And they literally said verbatim that to Twitter last week where they said the law of the land is supreme. Period. End of discussion. You do what we say. And they said the words or else. Literally those words verbatim. I'm not changing their words. And the question is, what does that mean or else? Does anyone know what they're referring to or else? There, well, they said there would be con severe consequences. And so Twitter has now complied with everything that India wants. And so that sets the stage for India and other countries to dictate the terms, which they are now doing, and creating blacklists of words that cannot be said within their geographies. And within Russia's list is different than India's list, is different from Indonesia's list, is different from anyone else's list. And now you understand why Sundar Pichar feels uh, provoked enough to make a comment to the BBC, of all places, that he warns that the threat of Internet freedoms. And he says the free and open Internet is under attack in countries around the world. What does he mean? He means we're now seeing the beginnings of when separate internets, because you're having different content allowed and blocked in different governments, in different geographies. And that starts the beginning of different internets. China has, somebody just did a report in the past 48 hours where they tested, I don't, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 million different websites that they threw at China to see if they were able to uh, open in China. And they figured out there was like 175,000 websites that China has banned. And the question is, OK, so which websites and will become officially offensive in India and Google will tell uh, India will tell Google, hey, 
all of these sites that we don't want seen, you, they cannot appear in Google search results. This is the law of the land. I feel like I feel like eventually the people making these laws though are gonna fucking die. Right. Well, now <laughs> and when now, they do, my, I think Michael, that things are going to change. That's you. You said exactly what I said uh, when we met seven hours ago, which is somebody asked very astutely, "Why is Twitter or Facebook rather?" Facebook tried to get into China famously. Zuckerberg visited there physically, met with Xi Jinping in person in Beijing and spoke Mandarin to a large crowd of, of his affection for China, of which, needless to say, they loved that and with, with rather impressive um, pronunciation, rather impressive Mandarin, although his wife is Chinese, so it's maybe not that impressive. But anyway... Um, he really wanted to get into China, and he he knows goddamn well he's going to have to do whatever China wants in terms of storing the data in China and removing whatever words they don't want to use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, everyone knows that. No big secret. You're going to have to play by the CCP rules. It's super crystal clear. And of course, he knows that. But of course, he was still willing to go there because it's such a huge market and it's a huge financial opportunity. So... The the question is then, why are they so slow in complying with India when they're so fast and willing to do whatever China says? It's a good question. Right. And, right. And, and you just gave the answer, which is because in democracies like India, the leaders change every few years. And so you can drag your feet and say, yeah, 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 whatever, boss. You're only here. You're only the boss for another, oh, I don't know, two years. And we can run out the clock. And then once you're gone... So so is your whole approach to running tech in your country. Exactly. It's a good point. And the thing is, it'll eventually match. I mean, you also have to take into consideration that mindset is eventually going to match up with, it's going to be in alignment with the younger mindset that's, most of our governments are old as fuck. There's like a lot of ancients running around in these governments pulling strings and they're all going to kind of start dying off at the same time. And when these younger minds that are used to a much smaller world because they're all digitally coherent, once these minds take over, they're going to want to be able to communicate with one another. And I just, I feel like it's, I feel like the, the, the current system a universe, I would even call it a universal network, I feel like is uh, delaying the inevitable because that's not where the world is going. Michael, I love you, but I'm going to bring up a counterpoint that maybe you, I th- you which too, I think you'll too. agree with, but I think it's counter to the point you're making, which is the FTC chair now, Lena Khan, how she's what, 32, 33 years old? She's, and she's in now previous FTC chairs, let Amazon, you know, run wild and grow, you know, ex- exponentially. All good. And these old folks in the U.S., you know, are Jerry. We're, we are a geriocracy, where you know <laughs> the the technology ran went went wild, and because they didn't know what was going on, you know. And now Lena Khan, the new FTC chair, is thirty two years old. She knows what Amazon's up to because she's young and she gets it. And she's like, aha, this is you know you 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 need to be checked. And it's, in fact, the younger folks who understand, you know, how much power these tech companies have now that they can kind of try and rein them in. You're right. I do agree with that. But there's a difference between being checked and denying complete access. Right. And I think I I definitely agree with you. Uh, The the younger generation will will definitely 
we will definitely like make sure those who need to be checked are checked but there's no way in the world we're gonna cut each other off around the world like yeah. that's that's a zero interest no yeah. but tyler yes. mohan here Him on. just like i said last night silicon valley time uh it's sort of simple-minded thinking to say that all countries are going to agree exactly the same way with respect to how whatever thing that you are considering will be controlled. So there will still be differences because different societies value different things differently. Yeah. I mean, case in point being GDPR kind of thing, Europe has always been far ahead in terms of you know protecting information personal information in particular and us had been laissez faire about it for a long long time so yeah he's now saying oh it's a question of completely blocking versus you know otherwise but that's all you know semantic quibbling yeah you're agreeing you're actually agreeing with me mohan like i'm not saying there won't be differences and but what i am saying is there's going to be a general level of respect for said differences versus just a complete silence Yeah, China, China has gotten away with it for quite a while now. In spite of all that schmoozing that uh, Zuckerberg did, Facebook is still not accessible unless you use a VPN in China. So is Google that's and so true. on and so on. That's very true. But that said, Zuckerberg is also an idiot. And I mean, I don't even trust him. <laughs> I'm America. I wouldn't. No way in hell China is going to trust him. And I feel like with, and with China, it's also China's... You got to think about China being one of the oldest versus America being one of the youngest. And we're pretty much bratty and egotistical and beating our chest at all times and blah, blah, hurrah, hurrah. We're the best. We're the best, which we're not. And when when you have someone running around like that, being that cocky, of course, they're not they're going to have a much harder time getting anything that they want, really, from something from a country or from um from china and from not just from china but a lot of the older nations are not going to put up with our bullshit i mean come on think about think about how the world kind of looks at us and we deserve to be looked at that way yeah we are definitely awesome in many many ways but our ego and the fact that we just try to override everyone else is definitely not one of them well said okay so we've got now that was the top story of the day the twitter story and then the fourth biggest story of the day is the gmail story of adding um showing logos for verified users as part of an effort to improve email senders authenticity okay and by the way i'm calling out journalists anywhere as i did in justin's room and justin knows a bunch of journalists now that he's doing pr for tech companies by the way and doing a very good job of it um That's a really interesting story that somebody needs to do right now, which is um, not a coincidence that Google just added um, email sender authenticity and Twitter's working on improving their verification system again now that it's been you know hibernating for over a decade. And more importantly, the biggest announcement in this whole space, which is really the the crake and, you know, uh, the <laughs> coming out <coughs> from a out of from under the water is stripe <clears throat> which is the biggest uh, enabler of uh, fintech on the internet for you know websites who want to add payments uh, to and you know allow their users to accept credit cards and whatnot similar to clubhouse is now has a whole new second product which is identity verification and authentication so that any website can 
uh, concretely, uh, confidently know that the users on their site are who they say they are because it will actually check their face, match it with their state ID, match it with other biometric things. Carl went into the API, found all kinds of interesting process with how they go about doing this. It's very thorough. It's very impressive and uses AIs and all kinds of stuff. So, and Clubhouse is one of their first four partners along with Discord, which is a social voice uh, chat app and two other apps that you've not heard of most likely. And it's, it's going to be huge. And it's particularly if Facebook is going to start. And by the way, uh, the idea occurred to me when we met seven hours ago that, you know, how Facebook Connect allows you to sign on to a new website by clicking your, the blue Facebook button. Google's doing the same with your, you can authenticate yourself using your Google account to connect to some new website that you show up to, or like the New York Times, when you sign up for the New York Times, you don't give your email address, you just connect through Google. Somebody's going to have your verified uh, authenticity.com, you know, authenticity.com knows who I am and for sure knows everything about me, knows my state ID, has proven I am who I, they sent me a postcard oh, like in the mail. Me. Yeah. And then verify me could then log you in. And then that website knows not only your email address, but they know for sure you are who you say you are, that your first name and maybe even your photo could be verified because they can do facial recognition with your photo and yourself and say, oh, yeah, that's a photo of you. If you want to do that, if you want to take it to that level, but your name could be verified. I'm not mad at and that. And the question. Yeah, the question is, what kind of internet does that create? Well, you can go to South Korea and find out what kind of internet that creates because they've been doing that for quite a while. So that's why I'm saying uh, it's it's heading that way. The 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 signposts ahead are kind of pointing in that direction with how Sundar Pichai is talking about these how the open internet is sort of um, expiring and the countries are sort of making their own, not only they're kind of the content on the ground, are they controlling? They're also controlling the cloud in their, in, in, in their countries. Mm. It's called sovereign clouds. And we've t mentioned this once or twice over the past couple of months, but to re reiterate for those who missed it, Amazon's one of my biggest sponsors in Sweden, Why not? but I bounce between Amazon cloud, Google cloud and Microsoft cloud. Cause those are the three big cloud players. And in the West, and then you have Alibaba Cloud in, in China. So who's tried to sponsor, but do being a European event, it wouldn't be so smart of me to take them on as a sponsor. So anyway, the the cloud companies know. And in fact, one of my friends at Amazon, whom I have many dear friends who work at AWS Amazon, I was on a, well, I had arrived at Charles de Gaulle in Paris, and I didn't know that I was flying from Stockholm to Paris. The friend of mine who works at AWS, one of my friends, was on the flight with me. I didn't know that until we got on the train to go into the city. And then we sat next to each other. And I said, what are you doing in Paris? Because he kind of handles the Nordics. And he says, yeah, well, we've got some big things going on here because uh, France and Sweden and a couple of their people are now starting to these countries are now starting to get very serious about their sovereign clouds that any of their government data from any of their government agencies and their schools and any of their hospitals and anything they touch as a government must be on clouds that they control, which means not Amazon and not Google and not Microsoft, like some other kind of thing, which could be Amazon if Amazon creates some new structure that gives the keys to the digital kingdom to 
the government in a way where they're able to get full, you know, top to bottom access and, and exposure to everything that's going on. So it could be a huge opportunity for the, the cloud company that acts correctly in, in co again, in compliance with the government in the same way that the social media sites are now being forced to and have done. And so it's going to be very interesting because governments, are, again, are controlling not just the content layer of the Internet, but also the the technological layer. The, uh, it's a different layer, almost like your streets where you have, you know, the the plumbing underneath the, the pipes that uh, that run underneath the road and then the road and then the buildings. You have this sandwich, this what we call a stack. Well, you have the same thing in technology and the social networks is kind of the houses and cars. And then underneath that or above that is the cloud. They also are controlling the cloud and the social networks, which previously they did not. Previously, you had Amazon doing the cloud and you had Facebook doing, you know, the social network and everyone was going along swimmingly. And now the governments are like, hey, wait a minute. All of this data is actually potentially kind of important. Hang on a second. Hold on. Wait a minute. We wait a minute. We control people when they come into our borders and we make them have IDs that we verify and check them in. But all of the data they bring in with them on their phone, we have no control of that whatsoever. And the and by the way, data is now interchangeable with money in the form of cryptocurrencies. And we used to tell people they could only bring in $10,000. Well, that concept's ridiculously antiquated in the age of cryptocurrencies. So now they're realizing that, you know, data is important. And that's why you're seeing this massive change, which is why the identities are going to need to be required. Does it make sense now? Okay, good. So the second biggest story, because we skipped over number two and number three to get to number four. Number two is France fines Google $593 million for failing to comply with a 2020 order to negotiate in good faith with publishers for displaying article snippets in Google News. I know that doesn't make much sense. I'll explain. And I, uh, because Google is a bot that sucks all the information off of the, all of the websites on the internet. All that juicy data <laughs> goes in. They suck it all in. All of it. All, all of it. Give me all of it. <laughs> oh, they want all of it. I, I, actually, and they... I actually beg to differ there because the thing is here, what I do, I work with scam and fraud, and I can say for sure that they are not good at indexing at all. They have been between 12 and 18% of all the sites in the area where I'm interested, Africa, for example, I have half a billion documents and websites in Africa indexed in my search engine that are not available in the Google, Bing, or DuckDuckGo today. You undone. There you go. Johan flexing. He's a data hoarder, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. a data hoarder, for real, sir. I got Africa. <laughs> so this is where my business is I do 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 there and there is no search engine you can't find any information there it's actually quite irritating uh, when you try to find some, a person of interest or a company you find nothing you get 80 results for any medium sized business in Africa uh, in my database uh, or in my search engine I have 250 documents on the same sites that Google and Bing actually pointed me that there might be information. You want done? That, that's Swedish. That's the, the closest you'll ever see to a Swede bragging, by the way. So <laughs> the, the, the appointo of Google 
taking all of the content on a web page. So when they visit a web page, they take all of the scrapable text on that web page. In fact, not only the text, but the kind of data behind it. Anyway, so when they do that, Google, when you go to Google News and you type in any topic like, you know, Cuban um, protests, which are happening at the moment, you'll see news snippets, they call them, which are the first few sentences of the article. And it's not just news. When you go and you search non-news about, you know, Cuban sandwiches or something, you'll see uh, snippets from websites talking about Cuban sandwiches. And the question is, how much is too much where they're showing enough information in the snippet that you no longer need to go click on that to go to that page. And then that publisher of that, the owner of that web page is understandably upset because, ah, Google took so much information and shared it with their users that the, their users don't need to come to my site anymore. Now you're essentially killing my site. That's the issue. And so in France, the news publishers went to the government and said, uh, you know, Google is not playing fair and showing too much of our content on Google.com and on Google News and people are not coming to our site anymore. So the French find Google and they lost that and they have to play nice with the publishers for displaying what they call article snippets. And Google's not been complying because Google's not going to comply because Google makes too much money that uh, now France is fining Google $593 million for failing to comply in this 2020 order. And Google laughs and says, oh, that's so bad because we've made um, 10 times that. In the meantime, oh, it's, it's a parking ticket. Sorry about that. It's like a parking speeding ticket for billionaires. It's like, <laughs> what's the you're just what's the point? So it's just one of those type of things. But and, also, uh, if you're if they're providing me quicker and better information via a snippet than you're putting into me actually clicking through and giving me that incentive. Maybe the snippet is a better value than your website. And I'm not, I'm not kicking these sites or anything. I'm just saying that maybe instead of complaining about that gives, give an incentive for, cause like you just said, it's a parking ticket for them. It's not going to change, but if you're giving an incentive to click through, then I think people are probably going to click through. I mean, I very, very rarely use snippets and I'm, I'm crawling the internet nonstop when I'm not doing other things. And I, I like to go through to sites. I very specifically look for sites that are efficient and give me reasons to come and are visually pleasing and have good bookmarking uh, styles and all these different types of tools and whatnot. So I don't, I, it's, it's a hard place to feel like eh, it's hard. Yeah. Well, the, it's um, when you're on the other end of <laughs> of that, and well, Yelp most notably was screaming bloody murder because Google controls how much visibility well, on reviews. They were taking Yelp reviews and showing them in their own Google Maps, and it's like, well, now people don't need to go to Yelp anymore because all the reviews are there. And it's like, uh, are they helping Pinterest. Yelp or killing Yelp? But see, and that's the other thing because I was a Yelp. Search. I was one of those Yelp elite guys who for like mm -hmm. six years, I've got like 500 reviews on Yelp or something like that. Um, most recently, like two last Tuesday or last Wednesday or something like that. And the thing about that is Yelp itself is keeping website that very much like I, I, I remember the, the people who run Yelp and how basically 
you know, I only became elite because I was friends with people who are friends with people. And there, there was only certain ways to get certain things. And you got invited for certain things and certain companies were getting the right reviews shown and companies who refused to pay Yelp were getting the wrong reviews shown. And I mean, Yelp themselves had red all over. Nasty. So, I mean, again, it got nasty. it's really hard. Yelp got really bad, man. Yeah. Me. Come on. I mean, anyway. a lot of those reviews are paid yeah. and bought. Oh, dude, don't get me. St- my whole startup was based on fixing Yelp by allowing customers to SMS directly to the owners if they had a problem in exactly. the store in real time. It's called text the boss. So when you're in the store and you have a problem, rather than go home five hours later and complain publicly on Yelp or on a Twitter or whatever, do the owner a solid and at least, you know, but then the store has to provide an SMS number so that customers could respond in real time while they're in the store with a sign that says text. You have a problem right now? Is the ice cream machine broken? Is our bathroom dirty? Text the boss. And here's this SMS number for the boss. That was my startup. So and I did that around, because, yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, try, I didn't like businesses getting all these negative reviews and using Twitter for a way that even the founders of Twitter hated, actually. They don't like people complaining on Twitter about a business. That's mm. a use case they had really wanted anyways. But now, back to the point here of um, using the snippets and everything, I, I had a brilliant side point that i just lost because you got me remembering my old startup anyway so um other big stories that we'll jump into here london metropolitan police say it seized 180 million pounds in bitcoin while investigating international money laundering after seizing cryptocurrencies last month and remote which helped which developers which develops hr tools for global workforces raises 150 million from Excel, and Excel is one of the leading VC firms, and the the name of the company is rather perfect because it's really all about enabling this new remote world post COVID new new normal. Um, because you're going to need HR tools for global workforces because you're going to need to employ uh, people from India and Ukraine and everywhere else, and that's what remote is all about, making it super simple. And they just raised 150 million at a valuation of more than a billion. And that's how you know when the investors, Excel, Sequoia, Benchmark, are investing in these solutions that are directly aimed at enabling globalization of tech workers. That's how you know the tech companies themselves are going to be down with this because their investors, think about it, the investors in the big tech companies. Think of the big tech companies, right? Okay, Spotify, whatever, whatever, Stripe, you name it, Shopify. They have investors like Excel, Benchmark, Google, Tiger Global, SoftBank. And those same investors are now investing in the tools to have like remote, which are allowing you to build remote global workforces and remote board meetings and remote this and remote that and all of the pipes and that are necessary to fully me- metabolize and materialize a global company, removing all of the frictions and the boundaries of complying with all the different countries and all their different rules and regulations and all of their HR rules of everywhere and all the ta- different tax rules of having employees in Southeast Asia and in Eastern Europe and everywhere else, all that magically disappears with a few startups that this, these big tech investors are investing in. 
heavily. And that's how you know that this is going to happen. And there's no going back because when Excel and Sequoia and all the big, big VCs have their board meetings with Spotify, they tell Spotify, hey, why aren't you doing a fully remote uh, team now? Why? Why? Let's close the office. There's these new startups. Haven't you heard of them? Remote, which, by the way, we just invested in. And there's a, why are we even having board meetings anymore? We just invested in another startup that fixes this problem of even need to fly together every three months to do a board meeting. Let me introduce you to the founder. You see what I'm saying? You see how this plays out? When you're in, you're a startup founder and your investor at the board meeting is telling you, hey, why don't you shut down the office? Let everyone work remote. And by the way, you can start hiring. You know, you can start hiring people from all over the world at a quarter of the price. You can hire awesome talent in Vietnam for one tenth of the price of people in Silicon Valley. Oh, by the way, we just invested in the startup that makes that possible. You want? Let me introduce you to the founder. Sound good? You like that? Yeah, I'll do that. Right. Uh, let me do that right now. Here, are we on a lunch break, Carl? Okay, great. Yeah, let me do the intro right now. You see what I'm saying? This is all gonna happen. And have you guys ever happened. heard? It's like, and have you have you guys ever heard of EBITDA and what valuations do to EBITDA and like you know save us some money and you'll pay twenty x on that, right? So, let me read the headline again. Remote, which develops HR tools for global workforces, just raised a hundred and fifty million dollars Series B. That's a huge Series B. Holy shit, that's a big Series B. Yep, that's like a Series C. <laughs> At a one billion, yeah, at a one billion valuation led by Excel. Excel is a is a thought leader in the space. Yeah. Index Excel. These guys are good. Uh, support. These guys. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say these guys are going to are going to break it or going to be the the next whatever. But the way Stripe brought APIs to e-commerce, are, this is what these guys are doing to HR tech, right? So they're right. They're also planning to do invoice payments, payroll. They they've got. Uh, legal entities in 50 countries they're they're hoping to get it by 80 countries at the end of next year like these guys are one to watch for definitely so when people are debating are we going to go back to the offices are the offices going to close down and we're going to go global this is the the smoke on the horizon that tells us the offices are going to be closing and we're going to uh, uh, uh at least people will have the option companies will have the option and tech companies that use traditional investors are going to be politely suggested to close the office and do the, the more global approach. So anyway, because we're seeing a lot of the solutions that are going to enable this kind of systemic change hey, are now being invested in. Yes. Even in the good old days, you know, every so often companies spent a lot of money on offsite meetings and bonding sessions and all that. So to me, all this, while it sounds good, as long as you know the people already, the minute new people start coming in for them to get a feel for the company and also corridor conversations, serendipitous way of, you know, people getting excited about new ideas and sharing ideas. I don't think it's going to all be, you know, everybody is wherever they are and still you love this rara feeling about the company and so on. I mean, I'm very skeptical that, you know, about, the long-term future, I think this is going to be a cyclical thing. So later on, people will say, oh, shit, people are not, you know, being as effective as they could be. They were all in a synergistic way, physically close together working. Yeah, you know, 
IBM went through some of these sorts of things long before the pandemic. Oh, work from home, we are going to enable it and save money, this, that. Later on, they said, what the heck, we want you to come back. And even taxation issues, I don't think are going to be that simple. Uh, you, you get paid in one country, but you are physically sitting in another country. These countries are going to become greedy too. Anyway, I, I'm done. Also, one thing that I think people, people really think that not everybody wants to be away from other human beings. Like there is a big part of like, I, I, I may not have ever worked in an, a traditional office, but, you know, owning a production company and, and being on set and everything else, like, it, it's, it's like coming into a traditional office in many, many ways. But the biggest ways is that I come in and I have coworkers and I, it's not just me at home and my family. And it's, it's a break from just the day-to-day routine and it's being able to synergize and it's being able to have ideals and share ideals with other human beings in a physical environment. And there's a very big difference between the ideals that spark when you're like, no matter how cool it is that so many people can attend Tyler's events on a clubhouse, there's, I guarantee there's no matching the energy of just being in that environment together and the, the amount of brainstorming and the, the amount of spark and interest and excitement and ideals that arise out of that environment from physically being around that energy is just, it's unparalleled and it's unmatched. And yeah, it's cool working from home and all of that, but there's going to be an elite group of people that are that are going to want to be in person and and really really digging in and that's where the big 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 ideals are always going to come from is in person in person in person and i mean i and maybe maybe you know maybe a lot of people disagree with me but i will always always choose being around people and and feeding off of that energy of being around another person who has ideals before talking on a fucking phone any day I, I agree with you, Michael. It's just that um, Chris's point on EBITDA is the strongest one. I.e., like companies will only act in their own financial interest. Like, just look at the the earnings of consulting companies who've saved like serious money on not having to have people. Like, oh, for sure. White, right. So, and then think about the swathe of people, like the eighty percent of people who these companies don't want to travel. I.e., they only want their like, you know big performers or people they need to retain and so I, the the so what for me is they'll only act in their own interests and i think their own interests will be financially driven i you know we're oh, for, sure. See, like, for sure massive like retention of staying at home because it's just in their interests the interesting yeah. thing from the hr perspective is they're going to dress it up in some sort of message of benevolence that's that's what you've got to look out for in the future like these packaged up messages that make it sound like they're doing something in the interest of the employees, they're not. But you, but Dave, got... Dave, oh. by the same token, any kind of, uh, at least in my kind of work, research and product development and so on, the synergy that comes from people physically, you know, being around each other and going to coffee or whatever, lunch and uh, bouncing ideas and such, lots of informal communication happens in a physical environment that's so much harder to replicate in the you know mm. remote environment so uh, yeah i mean in the short term they might have all these gains like i said ibm also went through this cycle uh, but then later on they realize oh shucks people are not being as productive however you measure it right um, so it's easy for these cfo types 
the bean counters to do all this silly stuff uh, in a short term sense, but it, it's the long term that's going to get hosed. And it, people, there is there is no large scale data that I'm data set that I'm aware of that proves that productivity has decreased. If so it's just one of yeah yeah just, we haven't had the chance for that yet though I think that we're just now starting to get to a place where we can start collecting that kind of data and I think Mohan's going to be proven right and I think that the better ideals and 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 it's not even a decrease in in productivity versus a decrease in quality I think that also the quality the, is going to drop loss so of opportunity cost which might not be measurable right you know something could have been invented didn't get invented so some of these measurements are also messed up in that sense lost opportunity cost is not going to be so obvious to also figure out and that's like anything else oh you roll in blockchain or you roll in workflow management systems how much gain are you going to have and all that is upfront very hard to measure and quantify so this will be also one of those sorts of things uh, it, it it really depends on the kind of job you are talking about you know very yeah it does uh, yeah, and I just there, want, there are and I just want there's to ask, a huge sorry. hold on Vinay. there's a huge numbers of overqualified people in india vietnam all over southeast asia all over the world really that don't have access to participate in a lot of these hot startups and they know it and it's actually quite expensive <clears throat> to bring people from uh, a lot of these places to silicon valley and get them set up and go through that whole legal process and it not it sometimes it's not even an issue of uh, finances it get, it just gets a, it's a, a very difficult process depending on where you're taking them from and where you're bringing them to and that is now gone. Uh, that's what a lot of these startups are addressing precisely right. that. So that even even startups who could never do that, the big, big tech companies, Apple and the Google and the LinkedIn, yeah, they could do it. It's not cheap. They spend a, a considerable amount of cost doing it. But now that that becomes, you know, an API, like a simple little, another little, you know, $30 a month startup that I pay that enables all of that. And now my recruitment thing, I'm now drawing from the entire oceans of the world of fish rather than the pond and, you know, around near my house. It's a, it's a real game changer. Yeah. But we'll, yeah. But we will see. Vinay, what do you want? Yeah. To in fact, you've actually hit the nail on the head, Tyler, because the reality guys, I'm in Bangalore, the tech, right. And there's 5 million additional square feet of commercial space that have just been taken up in India in the last, since January, 2021. And most estimates are it's going to go up to about 20 million square feet of office space. And a lot of these are tech companies that ha don't have a footprint in India that are coming in. Plus the unicorns and the, there's a term called the Sunicorns, the soon to be unicorns that are just ramping up like crazy from all over the world. And, out here in India, not just in the big cities, but even in tier two towns, et cetera, where, as Tyler just said, all the access to the talent is. And they're still setting up physical spaces because the cultural nuances is also people want to get together. It's a much younger workforce. Most of them are single, so they want to meet and you know hang out and do all of that stuff. They don't want to work from home. So the reality is, on the ground here, office space is hard to come by. Okay, so other uh, we want to turn it to other topics. Back to the top 10 list. I'm just making sure we got all of the ones that are remotely interesting. Um, net, 
<clears throat> Cuba's state-run ISP has restricted social media and messaging apps, including Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. And that's very unfortunate um, as they are having their protests that uh, the social media apps have been taken down. I was watching some of the videos and I've been to Cuba and I, it was one of the most uh, important uh, trips I've ever been on. And um, man, I really feel for the the folks there and hope everything works out for the best is I was there when the internet was getting turned on and that was a wild to see. Um, and apparently what I've heard, and this could be wrong because it's hard to get information in and out of Cuba, but the, that what started this kind of protest was that the internet went down and they were just bummed that, you know, the internet was down and, you know, as long as you, as long as the internet is up, People can, um, you know, whatever their hardships are, at least they've got, you know, they've got the net. And so as the Internet went down, people took to the streets. So that was kind of the last straw, the, the, the final straw, as it was kind of ironically, because now they're taking the Internet down so that they their protests won't be seen. But it's kind of too late. It's like that, that genie's out of the ball. There's already a lot of videos of people protesting around parts of um, Havana. So, um what else? I think that's it of the interesting stories. PC shipments, control systems. YouTube says Shorts, which is YouTube's new competitor with uh, TikTok, because TikTok recently kind of is surpassing YouTube. And so now YouTube is making shorter videos, which is ironic because YouTube started out with very short video, two cat videos of two minutes long. And then they forced everyone to get into longer and longer and longer and longer videos to compete with TV. And now TikTok is exploding and now they want to go keep the long form content going to compete with Netflix and everything and compete with TV. But now they also want to go back to their bread and butter, which was the two minute cat videos and take on TikTok. Because they kind of left that uh, <laughs> part of the part of the field open, and TikTok came in and sucked it all up. So now YouTube says Shorts, which launched in India uh, before expanding to 26 countries, will now be available in over 100 countries. The short form video experience arrives in 100 countries. YouTube's TikTok competitor, YouTube Shorts, is now rolling out globally. They say, and yeah, they have to because TikTok is kicking their ass because the kids. They have a hard time paying attention to anything longer than, you know, 30 seconds. So now YouTube's uh, catering to our ADHD and um, doing 30 second YouTube vertical videos, not horizontal videos. That's the other fundamental change. And that shorts are vertical as well, just like Snapchats and tweets and fleets and snaps and TikToks. And it's all about this really short form, highly viral vertical stuff. Now, we stumbled on a really interesting topic here 24 hours ago that I just want to reiterate for those who might have missed it, which is we were talking about TikTok had updated their privacy policy recently to include the ability to take con extra new data from you, the TikTok user. They are able to take what they call a voice print and a face print from you. And we didn't quite know what that was about, but we think we do now. And it's fucking incredible because we were reading yesterday about a startup who just raised a bunch of money for what they call voice prints. 
And and we had seen that word before. That's the word TikTok used in their new privacy policy. Now watch what happens. This is kind of crazy. So this voice print company that just raised a bunch of money, what they do is they take somebody's voice like Obama, like Trump, like anybody, like you, like your mom. And then <clears throat> once they have enough of your voice, they you can then put in any text you want, like the book of Genesis, or, you know, take any text, you know, some Dr. Seuss book. And you put in the text, and now the voice, the human voice, can be synthesized to read that text. Doesn't matter what the text is. And it will sound like Obama's reading Dr. Seuss's Cat in a Hat, or it'll sound like Donald Trump is reading, you know, the book of Genesis, or whatever the text is and whatever the voice is. So you get enough of the voice reading, you know, enough text. And John Francois, you can jump in here because this is kind of your neck of the woods as well, is now, but now you add in the fate, that's the voice prints. Okay. So TikTok said they're going to take voice prints. And now we know what voice prints are. Ah, you're going to be able to synthesize my voice to say anything in the future. And then face print, we now understand is you take somebody's face and now when you're watching a TikTok video and it has some celebrity in in China doing some dance and it's become a viral video in China and they know that when they bring that video to America it if they use the same Chinese celebrity that nobody knows in America it's not going to be as viral as if they have some American celebrity doing the exact same dance they just change the face and change the voice you see where the voice print comes in. And so now it's the same content, but with a with a synthesized face and a synthesized voice. So they can optimize the virality because they, they want to make sure that they're sending you this really viral content, whatever's perfect for you. So the next video you watch will feature the person who is most attractive to you, that you're most likely to watch and watch the whole video and not scan past or swipe right on. So they could make sure that all the content is, you know, your kids' videos and videos they never created themselves. It's other kids in other parts of the world doing viral videos, but they're now showing your kids' face on their bodies and their voices speaking the words. And it's your kids doing all the stuff. They never did it in reality, but it's now being shown to you in TikToks. And your future ads that you watch, they will optimize the ad to be the most optimized face and voice because they know who you are likely to watch and not swipe past. So again, it might feature you in an ad saying words you never said to yourself about how you could lose weight. And they could even show you 20 pounds lighter or 10 kilograms thinner and looking a little more, you know, with a full head of hair, heaven forbid. And, you know, now you're watching an ad of yourself talking to yourself <laughs> with your own voice print and face print you see what i'm saying and tiktok are really good with it like with the robot voice that they use and uh, all the song that you can choose just to make a video it's you just you have like to have be it's, it could be a really simple video but because you choose this song it will have like a tremendous amount of uh, viewers it's amazing jean-francois how do we know tyler's tyler right now <laughs> uh he's unique <laughs> oh AI cannot synthesize his taste in music just yet. <laughs> but in three years, I, I, we will not be able. Ooh. 
It's the jokes. If you crack a joke that makes him laugh, you can tell it's the real human. Ah, uh, he's is, not real. If the you thing talk is, juicy, like, juicy data, it's him. If it's, it's not juicy, juicy, it's not him. Data. The juicy, juicy so, cat videos. So Poppy found a startup called Dinos, Dinoscore. Like dinosaur, but with, with a C, Dinoscore. <laughs> D-Y-N-A-S-C-O-R-E, like a music score, music for video. And I'm tweeting these out right now. And Michael, you of everybody got to check out what I just tweeted. Because Dinoscore says it's an AI music engine that writes tracks to match your videos in real time. A new music creation tool uses machine intelligence to compose songs on the fly that match the visual tone and rhythm of the creator's videos. Hello. What's mm. the company? Dino. Dinoscore. D-Y-N-A-S-C-O-R-E. I just tweeted it from the Tech News Twitter account. Two links to Dinoscore. Yep. And yeah. check it out. Because that is, as we've been saying... Um, the idea of AIs making pop songs, which there's good examples of, and they're getting very good. And then this is a little more interesting because it doesn't need to sound exactly like Bob Marley as an AI-generated Bob Marley song or Bob Dylan song or Beatles song or what have you. This is music to fit the, the action of the video, if it's a drama or a, a, you know action car chase you or know, whatever. This is all everything we're talking about right now uh face uh face off and <laughs> and voice out and, and scoring and all these new little things i feel like i they're going to be used for two things in the end i think one is going to be novelty um tiktoks and all these little kind of fun things um face swapping new ar things and whatnot and the other is going to be terrorism <laughs> like people trying to use these things to to literally uh gain access to things they're not supposed to gain access to whether that be something as simple as your password or the fucking <laughs> nukes and i think that what's gonna happen though in the middle um in in in, in terms of like the majority the overwhelming majority is people are gonna find an, a bigger appreciation for the real deal I don't think that you're going to be able to, you know, you can you can put some celebrity's face on something, but I I know when the real celebrity is there, and that's when I'm going to care. I know if it's the real X, Y, or Z person, and that's when I'm going to care. And I feel like, especially when you start talking about these scores, yeah, it's cool and all, but it's not it's not James Horner. It's not you know it's it's cool that it can do that, and and that's fun for TikTok, but. When you're making something real, you want fucking soul, and you want a, you want real orchestrated music, and it's all there's always going to be yeah, room but for people. Not, not not everyone can afford Danny Elfman on their film, and you that's know what my I mean? point. So, and that's my point. Yeah. And you look at, but you again, you look at the libraries that we use, even from epidemic epidemic sound all the way on to uh, artlist artlist io, and, and these types of libraries that we use for our audio. I would much rather use that these curated libraries than let an AI just 
off the off the rip. And I'm not saying that people won't. I absolutely they will. Like I said, this is the cheap way. This is the kind of cheapo and novelty kind of way of doing it. And if you need to, and I can imagine like needing to crank out a bunch of content and just needing like 20 posts up on on you know X Y or Z days. And just wanting to just run them through the machine and let the AI handle it. I 100% get it. But at the end of the day, it'll have its place, but it won't be a replacement. So check out the Dynascore website, dynascore.com. And you can fuck with the audio file. It's If you go to the website, you'll see instantly a little player. And you can click play. And then there's a little thing that you can drag and move the shape of the uh, wave, so to speak. So you can dynamically change this file inside of its little player. It's really fun to try. It's technically really cool. Um, so it only takes a second to play with it. Watch. There's a little video as well. If you scroll down a little bit and it'll show you how to drag it and scroll it. Anyway. Yes, it's, um, it's really nice. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, I'm playing with uh, it. It's cool. I'm so yeah. disappointed it's not a dinosaur rating system. That was so I was hoping it was. What do you think? Like, oh, come on, like, Triceratops, T-Rex, get to the top. T-Rex gotta be at the top. No, no. Dinosaur. <laughs> okay. Um, other other headlines to jump into at the moment. Tiger Global and SoftBank are two of the names that you hear often when we talk about startups raising money, because now statistically the two firms invested the most money into startups so far in 2021, but how, uh, they do, how they do it is completely different. And there's an article about this in protocol comparing the differences between Tiger Global and, um, uh, SoftBank. And it's, uh, it's an interesting comparison of the two tech investor giants uh, these days. So it's a it's a long article, but it's a fantastic read. So I'm tweeting that out. And what else do we got? Uh, Apple sued by medical device maker over Apple Watch Series 6 because of the pulse oxometry, the ability to um, the medical grade pulse oxometers used in the hospital. Uh, Heyman, you sent this one in. Did you have a thought on this one? Is Heyman with us? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, I, I'm sorry. I don't have access to the computer right now. Do you mind? I think I no, might yeah. have sent have... it to Heyman. Actually, sorry. Uh huh. <laughs> I think I might have. Any sent thoughts that on it, to Heyman? Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. Because, uh... and you've got the Apple. You've got the MedTech news uh, in about an hour and a half, right? That's correct. Okay. So we'll do the deep dive on that one in an hour and a half when Heyman opens the MedTech room with the other folks there. And there's a website about a new campaign. Sorry. So it's uh, Massimo suing them. So that's uh, that's a big deal. Uh, Massimo Mm -hmm. basically is in like nine nine out of ten hospitals, uh, and their big franchise is pulse oximetry. So if they can prove Apple, um, you know, infringe, this could be a big deal. And also, remember, Card- Cardia is also suing Apple for the whole EKG stuff, too. So Apple has this uh, habit of taking on products and say, oops, uh, we'll pay you later, sort of thing. I actually mm-hmm. know the founder of Massimo because we were supposed to do a project for Massimo. And the person that Apple hired was the CQ of that division. So 
So this is real. And, and okay. the problem is Apple Watch is not truly a hospital-grade product. So a lot of people get a false sense of uh, security. I mean, it's convenient, but it's not accurate. So I think... With... So does... Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Well, um, look, I, I, I think you can look at my LinkedIn to see um, from, from whence I came. So I have to be a little bit careful of, um, of what I say here. Um, but I've known uh, the, the founder of Massimo. I've known Massimo a long time. I've worked with Massimo for 12 years and at Massimo for part of that time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, frankly, can, the, their former chief medical officer is a very close personal friend and was hired as the first chief medical officer at Apple. So Apple was working on uh, thinking about this kind of medical sensor technology a very long time ago, and I think was you know strategically looking and, and certainly he wouldn't have been the only one now Apple's packed with um, medical folk from from other med device companies and uh, and you know, he's still practicing clinician actually um, but it, you can also track down Massimo's history around its IP and Joe Chiani is a brilliant, brilliant man, and he really created something entirely different than the pulse oximetry we all think about um, today. Is like you can go to Walgreens and buy a pulse oximeter. What Massimo? The reason they're in nine out of ten hospitals around the world, and they're considered gold standard. It's the only thing that my foundation uses to screen newborns around the world is is this tech, because it they they figured out how to pull the signal. Um, from the plethysmograph and, and that red, little red beam of light that's in a pulse, pulse oximeter to cancel out the noise and reduce motion artifact, which was the biggest failing of pulse oximeters since the advent of pulse oximeters. So, and they were very, very careful in the early days of Massimo of structuring their IP around that. And so what subsequently happened is as pulse oximetry became more and more ubiquitous into different parts of the hospital, not just an ICU, for instance, like they'll start using it in the emergency room, and now we use it in the newborn ward and all of this, um, that other um, med tech players, not consumer devices, got really active in the space, and Massimo just lawyered up. And so they've become the billion-dollar company they've become, at least in part, due to literally at this point almost decades um, of of being able to have you know royalties and and um, and and winning lawsuits against you know, the likes of Philips and Medtronic and and this is all you know on the public record it's very easy to find if you just search it out so I I think that that's part of you know kind of who they are as a company is being very protective of of the um, the 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 technology that they they sort of fathered in a way. And um, I, I don't know how that translates into the consumer space because I just have to have a, a ton of expertise there. But, you know, every one of these watches and um, sensors that are out there are, are trying to claim to do these biometric readings now. And I know the term I, I gravitate to is sort of like tech versus toys. Like the tech is what's in the hospital and the toys are the thing you, you wear on your wrist. But... It's hard to think about just stopping one of those players in the field when there's so many right out there now that you can go out and throw one of these things on your wrist or anywhere else on your body, sensor patch. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Um, so I, I hope that was a little bit helpful, a little background context, and, um, 
I say that sure. with love in my heart for, for Massimo as, a, as an innovative company that we've worked with as a foundation. Hey, Anna-Marie, this is Mohan. This reminds me of a few years ago when at my IBM Almaden Research Lab, a professor from um, Stanford came, unfortunately, I can't remember his name, and he rattled off all the reasons why a lot of these consumer devices, were, which everybody seems to depend on so much, is full of, you know, bugs and, you know, they don't really work. And it's all a, a false impression that's being communicated that, like you were saying, as if they are like industrial grade and so on and so on. So this was, I believe, a, a medical professional, I mean, professor from Stanford who said uh, there is too much uh, hype around all these kinds of devices in general. Well, the fear what, what in general is, is that people you know, especially in the age of COVID, right? You can't have everyone at home, you know, throwing on their, their Walgreens oximeter or, you know, I, I don't know how good the Apple Pulse oximeter is or isn't, but really deferring to those devices and flooding the emergency rooms, right? With potentially false. So that's the whole, you know, for those of us who research in the medical space, it's false positives and false negatives, and they're both bad. So. And I'm talking about, you know, many years ago, long before COVID and all that, that this professor came and gave a talk at uh, my research lab. So. Yeah. For, for the layman, what is this thing meant to do? It's a pulse something? Like, sorry for the simple question, but I'm trying to follow it. Um, well, I mean, I shouldn't speak before a physician, but it is the one area where I've got a little bit of expertise because I've been working with this. And um, just as a way of background, my, um, my you know, I worked in health policy for a long time before my third daughter was uh, born. She was diagnosed as a newborn just prior to discharge, three days old, um, with uh, critical heart defects. And, you know, I sort of went on to set up a research pilot around that and, and in Minnesota, a multi-center pilot, including Mayo Clinic, to look at whether pulse oximetry, um, which is just, again, that little bread beam of light. If you go in, if you like sprain your ankle today and go into clinic, they're going to throw one of these things on you to tell you what the amount of oxygen is in your blood. That's ostensibly what the technology does. And it's a really, really useful indicator for what's going on inside your body. It doesn't tell you what's wrong, but it tells you something is wrong. So good pulse ox is, will hit the nail on the head, and then, and then clinicians need to sort of suss out what's causing your body to have an abnormal oxygen saturation. So today, because of what happened to my daughter, every baby that's born in the United States is screened with a pulse oximeter before they leave the newborn nursery. And I think, you know, we've largely been able to reduce those undiagnosed congenital heart defects, pneumonia, sepsis, the things, the things that babies die from because they're being sent home from hospital without that diagnosis. So it's, it's a really super, it's, it's almost like the fifth vital sign. Yeah. I refer to it as the fifth vital sign. And I think every... Every hospital, every frontline health worker ought to have one. And Dave, remember with the okay. COVID, that was one of the biggest things, right? People were asked to do a pulse oximeter after they got infected to gauge how severe their symptoms, uh, issues were and to when to go into the hospital. When it's 92% or less, they were recommended to go into the hospital. So that's typically why I think... People, yeah, typically people use a clip on their finger to do this, right? Yeah. That's the simplest device. They buy the fifteen dollar yeah. device from China. Basically, it works. It's fine for surveillance, but for detailed medical use, it may, it's not that reliable. But it's good. Yeah, and beautiful story okay. from uh, from Anne Marie. Love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So a whole bunch of new. I've 
been digging through the tweets that people send in <clears throat> and they boy do they send in a lot i've caught up to the last 10 hours so if you've tweeted in the last 10 hours i'm just seeing your tweet now um <clears throat> if you tweeted more than 10 hours ago i've seen your tweet and i've got i picked out my favorite 30 that i'm going to share right now and then hopefully people will jump in with insights will allow me a little time to get through the other tweets that people have sent in in the past 10 hours that i've not yet seen so <clears throat> Here we go with in no particular order from Poppy uh, <laughs> that climate change will have unevenly impact the European financial system that will impact those parts of the financial system most exposed to its disruptive effects. And it, there's a call. I just tweeted this out so you can see it at the Tech News Twitter. And by the way, all of these next 30 headlines I run through will all be tweeted in real time to T-N-A-T-W. You just look at my photo to see the Twitter account uh, kind of in the text above my head. And it's a report that shows a map where it shows which parts of Europe will be more economically impacted negatively by climate change and which areas won't. And it's according to this map that I'm, I opened the website, I can see it. And it says Finland will have no significant economic downside exposure. However, um, the the area of Belgium, what appears to be Belgium, just north of France on uh, on the coast, um, kind of Amsterdam, just south of Amsterdam, Belgium, and also northern Italy will be the most impacted negatively. Copenhagen, all of Denmark, Ireland, and Finland won't be that impacted at all, according to this, uh, economically by relatively obviously but i just tweeted that out you can have a look for yourself and while we're on the topic of climate change here's another one that just came in that i'm just tweeting out that says how will the west solve a water crisis if climate change continues to get worse which is a very important question and this coming from abc news it says imagine a world where water is scarce in the west very so hard to imagine isn't it um or at least stretches the increasingly hot and dry landscape and a decades-long mega drought spurred by climate change, which has led to alarmingly low reservoir levels uh, in the region, nearing or at records in some cases, and urgency, add urgency to considering this consideration. Considering this consideration. What a terribly written <laughs> paragraph. Anyway, the West has more hydraulic variability, more flood years and drought years, per average year than any other part of the country. And a study published by Science Magazine in 2020 warned that the West is ex exiting an unusually wet time in its history and heading towards an unusually dry time that could last years, even centuries. Oh, lovely. It's just, just starting. People are already planning to move and it's just starting and it might last centuries. Lovely. The lakes are practically dry now. Some 42% of California's population is now under drought emergency. Every part of the state except Southern California and San Francisco Bay Area, California Governor Gavin Newsom said Thursday. And, and, and if some of the most prominent reservoirs in the West are any indication, residents may be in trouble. Yes, exactly. Um, Lake Powell is gone. Climate change is definitely challenging the system. If predictions come to fruition and the recent warm, dry trends persist in the coming years, how will the West solve its water crisis is what this article is about. And the answer is they won't and people will have to move. I'm telling you now, stop fucking around. Get the fuck out while you still can. Um, we're not good at managing these types of situations as COVID made perfectly abundantly clear. So 
um, get out. Sell your house now while you still can, uh, because once they start selling, it'll be um, an avalanche and you won't get much of your house uh, in the future. So if you're thinking about it, and you should be, uh, start following the signs. We'll cover them daily here. We have been for a bit. You should be concerned. Read the article I just tweeted out from the Tech News Twitter account. If you're in California or if you have loved ones in California, uh, start start paying attention now. The first ones out won't be so negatively economically impacted. The last one out will be screwed. So, um, But there is positive news in some sense. On the next article, I'm tweeting now that Australia, Western Australia plans to build the world's biggest renewable energy hub, and they're committing $100 billion to the project to convert wind and solar power into green fuels. $100 billion. That could help. That could that certainly will help. And that's the kind of moves that you'll need to see that would keep you from moving. And But it uh, doesn't necessarily help the drought situation. Uh, which, by the way, Australia is not immune from either, and South Africa as well. But there was another related article. Uh, who was it? That's also Germany is saying they plan to be uh, completely green energy by 2030. That's just nine years away. That's truly ambitious and super applaudable. And Joe Biden plans to be 80% green energy by 2030. Also applaudable. Let's see if it happens. And moving to China, China drafts a new cybersecurity industry plan to govern data storage. This is super interesting. Here's why. Because you've got these big Chinese tech giants, just like America has, although they've got, they've got a whole lot of them. And these big Chinese tech giants um, collect data however they see fit in their own way. So you've got their version of Google, their version of Facebook, their version of Amazon. And just like the American tech companies, each company stores the data in very in ways that are specific to them and them alone. And it makes it not so easy to share the data between them. And now this is where this article gets truly interesting, because if I read the headline again, China drafts new cybersecurity industry plan to govern data storage. Chinese authorities set up efforts to draft regulations to better govern data storage, data transfer, personal data privacy. It sounds like they want to know if you have a user like Cheryl on Google and on Facebook and on Twitter and on LinkedIn and all and all these things. We want to be able to um, utilize that data of Cheryl across all of those different siloed data platforms. Uh, as it says, China authorities step up efforts to draft regulations to better govern data storage, data transfer, personal data privacy, and... I suspect why is the government have an interest in this? Uh, the government has shown a lot of interest in the data of DD users and Alipay users. And there was a headline about two weeks ago, which Cheryl and Cal and, and others will recall, where the China's now wants uh, Alipay to be absorbed by a state company and to create a credit score. So they're going to use Alipay. Well, what data does Alipay have? Well, very notably, they have all of your shopping history of everything you've ever bought. Okay, and we could certainly use that to generate a credit score. 
we, you know, that data is very useful to the government. As Xi Jinping said himself on the very first meeting when he became the head of the CCP, the first meeting he had was to China's biggest tech company. And the, what he said on the record published to the head of Tencent, Pony Ma, is, wow, you have an amazing collection of data. This data would be incredibly beneficial to the government. And that should give you some little bit of a hint as to what they've got in mind now with regulating how these tech companies collect and store and share and transfer data, which the state clearly has an interest in. So I think what's happening is the state wants to build its own massive, all-encompassing mother database of all of these users. And they don't like the fact that Cheryl's information is not so easily aggregatable, uh, split up and balkanized amongst 10 different systems is they want to have an integrated system. And that's why the article says China drafts new cybersecurity industry plan to govern data storage. This is my guess based on other headlines we've seen about how they want to use the tech company's data to benefit the state. And this gets very, this is what we were concerned about. Or Cal and I very specifically were like, this is starting to seem very concerning how they want to build a credit score system using Alipay's historical data. They're forcing Alipay to merge with the state-driven entity with giving that data to the state to build a credit score for all the consumers. Okay, now what happens if we also add in all of their um, DD, like Uber driver delivery data and they're all of their e-commerce data? Oh, and what else do you got over there? You got some video game data? Yeah, Great, and, let's and, plug and that in too. You know, Anyone got any sleeping data? Anyone got any medical data? Great, let's plug this in too. And let's get a real beautiful picture of Cheryl across all of the big tech apps and merge them all into one. This is the true dystopian nightmare manifested when the state is merging all of the data sets of all the big tech companies into one in a way that they cannot do themselves. Amazon's not going to merge its data with Facebook and with Google and with Twitter and with, you know, the the medical, your actual medical data and your education data and all this other data that, but what's, that's what this managing governed data storage transfer user data China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology said Monday it has issued a draft, a three-year action plan to develop the country's cybersecurity industry, est estimating the sector may be worth more than $38 billion by 2023. We'll see. I, I hope I'm wrong. Hey, Tyler, isn't yeah. it also somewhat ironic that uh, in spite of all the claims made by the West that oh, all these companies are already sharing all their information with uh, the Chinese government? They are still doing this. So that presumably means that all these claims made by the Western powers accusing Huawei and so on of sharing, you know, all sorts of information with the government probably wasn't true because otherwise, why would they have to go through this new law and this and that? And no, I, I don't think them that's up? a natural conclusion, though, Moran. I, let, I, I think they may have, it, it's about integration of the data, right? So they may have been sharing it. They just want to get more organized now, right? What the hell was that? What was that? <laughs> I think class just He's got a robot. Yeah, I was like... Tornado siren. Whoa. Hey, Mohan's a robot.
Mohan, we bowed you. <laughs> no, I got a phone call. That's what happened. Sorry. Ah. Boop, beep, boop, boop, sure, beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. I was just happened. saying. No, I was just saying that if they had access to all that data, and the government has lots of people who are doing all this bad stuff across the world and so on, they could have done all this integration if they anyway already supposedly had all that data funneled to them by. Whoever, Tencent and Huawei and uh, Alibaba and so on and so on, Baidu, right? I mean, so I don't know. There is some contradiction. Is all I'm saying somewhere. No, no, you're, 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 yes, you're, yes, and no. I'm going to challenge. You. There's I mean, a way. You're, you're, data-wise, they could probably all pull it together, but but there's more data coming now, right? You might as well get really well, that's organized. That's my point now, exactly. Right. Right. So that it's usable in real time going forward. So that to do that, you're going to need to set up a system. Where they are operating in a similar structures from a data perspective, uh, China drafts new cybersecurity industry plan to govern data storage. How the data is stored is going to be governed, and they're telling the tech companies, "No, no, no! Here's how you store your data, because because why? Well, because that's how it would be useful to us if you did. Apparently, I mean, it's, it's not. This is not necessary. I mean." They could, of course, make the claim that they're doing it to the benefit of the tech company themselves. The tech company's like, no, 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 we got this. Uh, we've been doing it this way for a decade. It's working fine. Thank you. And the government's like, no, no, no. You're going to store your data this way now. And when they talk about governance, Tyler, they talk about the architecture of the single citizen record, and they architect it in a way that's best for that's them. That's my point. So, but, and then Cal's point on integration. Key word here, because like, CDBCs, the whole like testing of that stuff, like lash the currency onto this thing. Then this, it's, you've got a hot data set just running, like, as you say, giving a complete picture of the person. It's just really concerning because if, if I had not seen, if we had not seen the article about uh, the state forcing Alipay to merge with the state to use the historic, historical data to generate a consumer credit score. And we already know they have a social credit score. And we know those two things will go together. Those two data sets of your social credit score and your actual credit score, those will clearly be part of the same database, right? And that, and we said at that time, oh, this will be very concerning if they start forcing Didi to share their data to merge into that because Didi's data could enhance that. And so could Meituan's data. And so could Taobao's data. And so could you start adding in all of the other tech giants data into this and you get this incredible 360 um, ability just as if you were to merge all of Google and Gmails and Facebooks and Messengers and every messaging app and every app in your phone. If I could merge all of those data sets together, I would know more about you than your mom or your husband or wife or anybody by far. So it's it's truly concerning. We said that when they when the headline came out about they're forcing Alipay to merge with the state, we're like, uh oh, sure hope they don't force Didi to merge too, and hope they don't force these other companies to merge. And now here's the headline that they're they're now dictating how these companies need to store their data. Well, why? They seem to be doing fine previously, and by the way, these in the U.S., if the U.S. tried to tell Google. Here's how you're going to store your data. Google will be like, yeah, fucking right. Just to be clear, you know, what's interesting that's happening in the medical world, and again, hammer nail, so I'll, I'll talk about that, is that the government is actually saying you'll get paid less as a physician 
unless your data is stored this way. And uh, I, I tweeted this at you, Tyler, but um, uh, this exact issue is occurring right now because Truveda. Oh, check. Oh, 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 I just found something. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's called Fire. I just found something. F-H-I-R. And Truveda is a company that represents 10 of the 30 largest health systems. And they're taking your data. Many of you in the U.S. are actually going to these health systems. I'll name I'll name one of them that's very well known, which is Ascension. Uh, check. I just I gotta share this headline. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. This is just too good. I'm burning. Whoo! Check this out. So, uh, Sarah found this one. Sarah, you on stage? This is incredible. Well done. China. Pl- Here's the headline: China plans common data platform for the Greater Bay Area to promote circulation and sharing of data between Guangdong, Hong Kong, and Macau. So similar to the previous article of the, the theory that they're going to merge the data sets of the big data companies, of the big tech companies to give a more fuller profile of Cheryl and every citizen in China. Is that, is that what's going on? Well, this headline, China plans common data platform for Greater Bay Area. Data regulation, same words, data regulation, has become a major focus in China, for China authorities in months. In this month with a raft of new measures and initiatives announced. And here's, let me read a little bit more. Hey, Shenzhen is not that, included, huh, Tyler? No, it will be for sure. <laughs> China's southern, it says Guangdong province and Shenzhen is in the Guangdong province. You have Guangzhou, Macau, Shenzhen. It, yeah, it names it right here. It says China's southern Guangdong province said it plans to build a common data platform for the Greater Bay Area that includes Hong Kong and Macau and will build a data trading market in Shenzhen, part of efforts to regulate data more thoroughly. That's the article. So if they're sharing data between geographies so that they're all on the same platform together, they all interoperate because cities in America are have their own separate systems, just like every hospital has a separate system. And that's really one of the big sadnesses uh, and unfortunate realities of America at the moment is everyone's on a totally different medical record storage system. Everyone's on a different, you know, school system. Every dentist on the planet has a different data system. And wouldn't it be nice if they were interoperable? Well, in America, that ain't going to happen because, uh, we, you know, the way that we're structured for good or bad. In this case, China's like, you know what? Let's go ahead and make all this shit interoperable because we got some plans. See, this is the problem, right? In America, (laughs) we have suffered a lot with high prices for, uh, you know, healthcare and all that because of all this nonsense, the islands of data and people having vested interests not to actually make them easily shareable. But then at the same time, we are all unhappy if somebody does all this in a, grand fashion across the world, country because then we are worried about the big brother kind of thing. So, so I will say yes and no. US yeah, now, yes, in yes the US and no. now, Tyler, just want to clarify, uh, as of yeah. the Cures Act, all hospitals have to now connect their data using FHIR. So as of this okay. year, uh, there, there were two big things that happened. One is you get your data immediately before the doctor even sees it. So like as a patient, as soon as it goes into the medical record, you, it will be in your patient portal. There was a lot of hoopla around that. And then two, it's that uh, the hospitals will literally get paid less 
if they don't share their data. And so all the hospitals switched over. And now all the hospitals in terms of their medical record systems have to uh, be interoperable, in, at least at the base level. I don't think that the level of quality of that interoperability is there, but it already happened. And so this is that is this year. It went through. Uh, and, went and, and there's like uh, fines too, right, Danish, like 25K yeah. or something like that per incidence. Exactly. And so like, you know, if there's the, if you have to break the ceiling, which is a, a medical term, which is like you have to actually provide, you know, you have to provide information outside of the interoperability to be able to provide care. There can be some people can come after you for that. But wanted to make sure that the interoperability issue has been solved. But to go into the bad of that, as I was mentioning with Truveda, this is a bunch of health systems that started a data company to sell that juicy, juicy patient data directly to the tech companies and to others and to insurance companies. Without So when you go into the doctor's office, you sign a consent that says, hey, this is now the hospital's data. And that hospital can then, quote unquote, de-identify. But we already know from other articles we've discussed right here on Tech News Around the World that they can actually re-identify later. But they de-identify the data. And now these health systems are selling the data without giving the patient a single dollar. And they just raised $95 million for this. So just want to let people know that there is, while there's good of interoperability, Mohan, to your point, there is actually bad that's already happening here, at, you know, stateside. Yeah, and it's one one simple example that's scary is, or good, is Saner and New York Life have a data exchange uh, agreement now. And so Saner is, I think, number two or number three in patient healthcare data. So, You know, yeah, we used company. to feel very good that Kaiser Permanente for the last many years has been fantastic in providing all sorts of online access and so good that they've leveraged IT so much. But then now you get into these sorts of uh, <laughs> complications or whatever, you know, concerns. I want to I pause Justin to see if Justin had a, a favorite article in the political tech space recently. Or we can do, uh, I, I've still got 25 or 30 to go through and I'm now caught up to the past. I'm still on the past 10 hours, so... <laughs> Um, can, can, can you give me legit five minutes? My dog will not stop, yep. and I don't want to subject your audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but anyone else have an article from their part of the world, um, professionally or geographically? If not, I'm going to go through my 25 tweets right here. So here we go. Here we. Uh, here's one. Mitra, the the robot is helping India's COVID patients. I'm tweeting this one out right now. And oi, oi, oi. Close that. Go back. Sorry for that. Here we go. Uh, it's from CNN. And the this robot, it looks a lot like the, the SoftBank Pepper robot, but it's joining the fight against coronavirus in India. A handful of hospitals are using robots to assist healthcare workers on the front lines of the pandemic because guess what? Robots don't get COVID. Pretty clever, huh? So um, it's kind of Kind of, it stands at the front of the place and it does a temperature scan on you and it has a like an iPad on its chest and it has your data. Pretty clever if you could reduce the amount of humans that that might be able you know and that are standing in a hospital who if they become infected be, could transmit it on to lots of other people. So could be clever. However, the next article is uh, a campaign to stop killer robots and the website is stopkillerrobots.org and. <laughs> Indeed, uh, Amazon employees, Google employees um, are concerned about how the technologies they're building are being used by governments 
and uh, Boston Dynamics was just acquired by Hyundai, uh, which will be militarized. And it's this idea of these militarized drones, especially, I, I have to imagine you're going to have a whole lot of drone em company employees being very worried about how those might be used now that they can be militarized and all that. So you can stop by stopkillerrobots.com to learn all the latest news and updates about um, how it talks about the, the killer robot drone in Libya right on the front page. So you can really, and that's that's what got us all interested in that. I'm ready when you are, and Tyler. I, I've got a great one right here. So this this one's too good to stop on. It's uh, And then we'll I'll give it to you, Justin, and then anyone else who has a headline from their part of the world. It's It says... Hello, this is a New York Times article. Um, hello, content creators. Silicon Valley's investors want to meet you. The online influencer culture is starting to draw serious interest from big venture capital firms, but the real money could be in digital tools, not the personalities. And it tells the story of Tucker Schreiber, a 20-year-old co-founder of a startup called Combo that was building a video editing platform Noticed a lot more emails in his inbox, uh, though his company had no employees and no products. He hadn't even said he was looking for money. Investors were sending him streams of messages. I started getting five to 10 inbound emails daily from a couple of weeks straight from investors. Mr. Schreiber's startup was riding a boom in investors targeting the so-called creator or influencer economy. The boom in the creator economy itself has renewed interest in social media among venture capitalists who for years thought there was little point to looking for social upstarts with the likes of Facebook and Snapchat uh, sucking the air out of the market. Creators are people who build audiences online and find ways to make money from those audiences. They are usually young digital natives who are trying to make a living from their social media work, and big Silicon Valley investors increasingly see them as the next financial vein to be tapped on the internet. The creator economy, which provides digital tools to influencers and helps them run their business, is a huge, largely unexplored market. Because it's about money now, folks, not about the clicks and the likes and the follows. It's about the real cash, cash, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, because we're going to be selling stuff. We're e-commerceifying our social media. It's called social commerce. We've been talking about it every day for about three months now. Welcome to wow, the party. That, that's crow, again. Again. Crow, 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 crow. <laughs> Welcome to the party. It's called social commerce. It's coming in heavy. And this talks about how several startups that are being hounded by Silicon Valley investors as they're getting more excited about social commerce. And last month, for example, the venture firm Founders Fund, which is a very important uh, VC firm and very forward looking, took the lead in a $15 million investment round for Pietra, a startup aimed at helping influencers launch product lines in April. 776, a venture firm run by Reddit co-founder Alexis and Bessemer Venture Partners announced a $16 million venture uh, into PearPop, a platform that helps creators monetize their collaborations and social media interactions. The list goes on. In February, high-profile venture firm Andreessen Horowitz, the leader investor in Clubhouse, led the investment in Stir, a platform that helps creators manage how they make money valuing the company at $100 million. Dispo, a photo sharing app that mimics the experience of digital cameras, received $4 million, and on and on and on and on and on. As uh, in April, uh, Clubhouse raised 200 In April, it raised $200 million and at a $4 billion valuation. Here's the quote. When I first started in venture capital in 2016, there was this 
pervasive belief that it would be really difficult for another major social network to come along, uh, said Lee Jin, founder of Atelier, a venture firm focused on the online creator world. And TikTok upended all that by focusing on influencers. The app forced changes from traditional social networks like Instagram and Twitter that shied away from catering to people. And now they're all e-commerceifying. And now the investors are excited because they see the opportunity that we've been talking about every day for three months now. Welcome to the party. There's another one Welcome that has up. been announced today in India. Similarly, along the exact same lines, uh, Trell has uh -huh. raised $45 million from Mirai and H&M. Uh, it's Series B, and it's um, it is uh, already powering um, 15 million actives. Sorry, 18 million creators that have been con that have created content uh, exactly along the same lines as what you're saying. And last week we had Deal Share. You might remember that raised 144 from Tiger Global. That's it. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm not surprised. Trev. Trell, Trell. Yeah, Trell, yes. Uh, we were talking about Trell when we met seven hours ago, and um, uh, we read that article, and I said, I want to invest in... And did it... Did, I'm sorry. Um, did, Sarah, did you say that H&M invested in that? Yes, correct. Oh, goody, goody, goody. <laughs> Froz, I think we have an in. Um, H&M... Our our dear friends of mine in Stockholm. Ross has got an in um, another way. Yeah. Okay. I don't doubt he does. Well, now we got two ins. Tyler, I have something related to the creator economy. That perhaps go I'm... ahead, JT. So it's an article. Well, we were, I, by I, the I, way, we're 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 going we're going we're going to Justin next. I'm patient. I'm, I'm no okay. need to cater to me. I'm here for long for the okay. ride, folks. All right. So it's right. an article that I recently um, just tweeted out. It's Rec Rooms um, introducing full body animated costumes. Um, so this plays into the to some several facts. So Rec Room, which is a social VR platform on several um, devices, recently expanded to Android users as well, and it has a creator economy um, built in where users are able to create different. Who's this? Um, I'm sorry. Who's the company? Oh, uh, Rec Room. Oh right. Uh, it's a social VR platform online. And yeah. you can use it on the Oculus yeah, yeah. Quest. So now uh, users yeah. can actually... One of our buddies build. is one of the creators of that game. Mm -hmm. so yeah, he now, comes in... He used, to, he used to be in here every day with us, yeah. Yeah, so now they could uh, actually create um, full-body avatar costumes on on the platform, which is pretty unique because on most of the different social VR platforms, you only get partial avatars. Uh, so you only get, like, the body and the head and the arms. But now you get to like, have, like, the legs and actual full-body avatars. So it's pretty cool. And this gives um, users the ability to create now new things and make even more money. So I just wanted to throw that out as, as a connection to the creator economy that you just um, were talking about. Very cool. Thank you for that. Um, so what else we got? Oh, Justin, you're up. Yes. Did we do Rebel? No. Okay. And, and I think I'm pronouncing it right. So this is from Cheryl, folks, uh, but it does have a strong... U.S. government tint, uh, even though it's not really naming the U.S. government. So the uh, hacker group that's known for ransomware attacks against not only the United States, but against servers uh, for companies all throughout the world, including the EU. There was a recent ransomware attack that affected 1,500 companies. 
Well, their ransomware websites on the dark web, a significant portion, maybe even all of them, according to CNBC, are down. And nobody knows why. Nobody's claiming credit. But this comes on the heels of tech news around the world has done as good or better of a job covering this than really any other media platform out there Uh, on the heels of the JBS, which was a meatpacking plant attack in the United States on the heels of a colonial pipeline hack by Russian uh, Russian groups uh, that affected 45 percent of the fuel to the eastern seaboard of the United States. So think Washington, D.C., think New York, think Boston. And more specifically, it comes on the heels of a meeting between Vladimir Putin and President Joe Biden, where they discussed this specific topic, cybersecurity issues and hacking. Um, So what you saw was Joe Biden called Vladimir Putin on Friday, two weeks after the meeting that they had in, I want to say it was in Brussels, uh, to reiterate like Mm, Geneva in sorry, in Geneva, I keep (laughs) I keep messing that up. Thank you, Tyler. In Geneva, um, Biden like gave Vladimir Putin a list of companies, 17 critical designations for infrastructure, essentially saying, if you're the Russian government, stay the fuck away from these. If you have uh criminal organizations in your country stay the fuck away from these if you don't there will be consequences uh ultimately some of these things were hacked again in the recent ransomware attack that hit 1500 businesses and joe biden called vladimir putin up and he's like hey buddy um we're gonna kind of take some action here now and the reason why this is important you may be thinking What's the big deal? It's likely the U.S. hacking back at a criminal organization. This, to my knowledge, is the really the first big push that the United States has made against these type of actors on a cyber offensive uh, kind of tilt since President Obama, President Trump and President Biden. So you could argue 16 years. And this marks a new path forward for how the U.S., will likely react to non-state criminal actors. So while this group isn't affiliated with the Russian government, they are essentially receiving impunity. They can attack whoever they want outside of the borders of Russia, and Russia won't do shit about it. Now the U.S. and Joe Biden laid out a red line. He said, we will do something about it. And now he actually appears to be hacking back. So I think that Tyler... This may go under the radar. It may not impact things that great, but it does signify a shift in United States strategy to cyber attacks. And it shows that this administration is willing to walk the walk along with talk the talk. Indeed. Uncle Joe, he's going to bend you over his knee. He's going to show you <laughs> what, 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 what malarkey, what happens Uncle when Joe. you do malarkey. America! Glad, no Glad malarkey. Get in the naughty corner. Get in the naughty corner. You you causing some malarkey? <laughs> Uncle Joe's a no malarkey zone over here. Hey, Justin, so, um, didn't the U.S. get involved in the um, um, Iranian uh, nuclear, whatever, I forget now the technical terms. So, yeah, so we were involved in Suxnet, which uh, was back, I want to say, 2005, 2006. Um, so I'm not saying the U.S. doesn't do hacking, but this is our first time doing hacking as a coercive measure to say, stop fucking with us. We will hit back. And I think it's hey, a pretty big news. Justin, does the news actually say, are, are you, because earlier you said that it's, I'm, it's gone I'm we don't know why you're assuming. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's the US and why am I assuming that? 
it, it was leaked to Bloomberg's political reporter. Uh, in addition to that, Joe Biden said we would attack their servers. And then in addition to that, the NSA said we would go on the offensive. Some things you'll see, some things you won't. So to really highlight this, the article does not say it was the United States, but having done press in the government for things relating to this and then seeing all of the statements by the government agencies and also the reporter that ultimately broke this highly technical news, breaking who he covers government, um, it just makes sense that this was the U.S. I have breaking news, everybody. This is the first you will hear of this anywhere. Here it is. We haven't had a real legit breaking news, but here's one. And this is crazy. Plays right into everything we've been saying. So, Andreessen Horowitz is one of the biggest investors in tech. They're the biggest investor in Clubhouse. And yeah, I would say in the U.S. they are, uh, if you had to pick one in the U.S., you might pick Andreessen Horowitz at the very top of the pyramid, which shape uh, where that the uh, there's kind of a flock mentality um, between investors where Mark Andreessen is kind of the, the front bird of that flock where and where Mark looks and turns everyone else uh, pays attention. and. Exactly 12 minutes ago, um, and Mark Andreessen's partner, Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz, just tweeted that they just invested a very significant amount into a new startup. But this is no ordinary startup. Oh, no. This startup is called, speaking of flocks, it's called Flock Safety. And what is Flock Safety? Well, get ready. Flock Safety um, is a special camera. And this is no ordinary camera. This camera is specifically for police departments. And it's specifically for helping them solve crimes. And Flock Safety uses computer vision to fight crime. While there is a legacy market for automated license plate detection cameras, Flock Safety far surpasses existing capabilities. Instead of only being able to search for hits on a specific license plate, Flock Safety allows law enforcement officers to query for various characteristics of a suspect's vehicle, including make and model, color, paper, paper plates, and attributes that observers may notice even when they don't catch a license plate at the scene of a crime, like a specific bumper color. The results are not just astounding from a crime-solving standpoint, but the impact is a much more objective form of fighting crime, finding an exact vehicle Instead of pulling over every silver sedan, it's safer for citizens and law enforcement alike, is how they pitch it. And the results of flock safety in action are astounding, frequently finding stolen vehicles, substantially reducing residential burglaries, and in more dangerous situations, empowering law enforcement to intervene in amber alerts and resolve legal, lethal crimes that would otherwise go unsolved. And we are often in search of yeah and so uh then i go to so here i'm going to tweet out right now this hot off the press uh and recent horowitz uh blog post where they talk about why they invested in flock safety and now i've got flock's website where they actually show the cameras and they announce their um uh, big investment from injuries and horowitz and on the front of the website it says they have two products the license plate and vehicle recognition and then something they call flock os which is of course uh, a sort of 
operating system for managing all of the cameras. And it allows police to know every car everywhere all the time of every because they strategically put these on every intersection. And now they know where every car is at all times. And they can search for red cars that were in this area, red Toyotas that were in this area on this date. And then they can see every red Toyota that was in that area at that time. And it creates an almost Google-like ability for searching by car color, car type, of course, license plate, and other characteristics that they previously couldn't search by. They could pretty much only search by license plates previously. And everyone has their favorite tool in their toolbox. And for me, as Flock LPR says, Detective Jason Duncan at Georgia Police Department. And the first camera that sees, like a detective, capture the vehicle details that you need to track and solve crimes. Flock Safety's patented vehicle fingerprint technology lets you search by vehicle make, color, type, license plate, state of license plate, missing plate, covered plate, paper plate, and unique vehicle details like roof racks, bumper stickers, and more. So you could search for um, people with Trump stickers on their cars. So... Hey, Tyler, this is intended yes. to be mounted in the police vehicles or even in intersections no. and so on. It's mounted anywhere they want to mount it, literally anywhere. And so they that. show it's, sol- it's, it's solar powered as a little solar powered panel plugged into a camera on a pole. And you can mount the pole, uh, of course, in, and use the, the, the street light pole that already exists or the traffic signal pole, or you could have your own. Uh, ordinary pole and stick it into a ground in, in residential neighborhoods, but within cities, uh, ostensibly you would just add it to the street light poles or the traffic light poles or whatnot. So unless people are willing to replace whatever such cameras that are there today, and we do have a lot of them post 9-11, right, across America, this is going to be a long-term thing to replace the existing ones with this super-duper one for it to be really off that effective as it's being talked about, right? Well, they say they uh, on their website, which is flocksafety.com, they say who, what products we have. And as I mentioned, they have the license plate and vehicle recognition and then the operating system, which allows you to search all the cameras. And then it says who we serve. And one says flock for neighborhoods, which means maybe a neighborhood group could get together and pay for these and install them in their neighborhood. And then you've got Flock for Police, which is a separate category. I think I already understand face uh, Flock for Police. So now I'm clicking on Flock for Neighborhoods. And sure enough, let's protect your neighborhood together is the headline. Your safety doesn't need to stop at your front door. Flock Safety helps HOAs, neighborhood associations, work together to capture the objective evidence needed to reduce crime rates, improve neighborhood security, and protect home values. We create the most user-friendly, least invasive way for communities to stop crime. And here's a quote. The crime in our area was at an all-time high with offenses from dumping to drug use to reckless driving to armed robbery. We installed flock safety cameras because they maximize coverage with minimized costs, says Joseph N. of Richmond, California. And thousands of HOAs trust flock safety to automate their neighborhood watch. So now neighborhoods can start tracking all of the cars driving through their neighborhoods and build a database of every car that drove through based on make, model, size, color, shape, bumper stickers, racks on top or not. And if it's missing a plate or has a paper plate or a covered plate and all kinds of interesting stuff. Who managed the data? Tyler, no, no, no worries. They have a, um, 
they have a uh, on the company website they have an ethics center right technology as a force okay. for good. good so we're good we'll manage the data we're all good it's all good we're all good yeah cal that's what i was going to say that uh, out here in saratoga california when some people decided because of the huge number of burglaries that were happening you know next door to cupertino uh, that we would install an, at least in some intersection some kind of camera that will record stuff all hell broke loose with people saying oh privacy violation blah 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 so it's interesting because uh, very soon in one of these um community meetings someone's going to cheat on somebody's spouse and someone's going to go search in the database to find out if their husband or wife was in the neighboring town at past 10 p.m. and they're going to catch somebody cheating. Exactly. And that's when all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> People were worried about being seen with somebody else in these uh, videos and so on. Yeah. Mohan, were you worried about that yourself a little bit? or? <laughs> 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 Maybe the wife. <laughs> so, Tyler, is this going to be B two B, or can consumers buy these individually from the ad? consumers? Can well, you can you as, as long as you're posing as a neighborhood watch program, uh, then Evan can reach out on behalf of the citizens of Calabasas and uh, say, you know, we we would like to order a dozen of these cameras. Oh, question: If they do not right. like. The police to use clear view. Why would they like the police to use this? I, that was the question going through my mind because one is personal, my personal data, and the other is my car, which isn't so personal. It, it doesn't. It's not necessarily you driving the car. You know, it's not your personal data. It's the car, and yeah, it's a great question. Really, really interesting concept. So anyways, lots of other headlines to get into. And I forgot to thank Justin uh, for his headline because, as you can tell, he's a whiz-bang savant when it comes to political issues. And that's why uh, I you see me hanging out in Justin's room every day before we open Tech News Around the World because he does a room for the two hours leading up right before we start. You'll always see me there. Uh, where I typically share an article that his audience is better suited than this audience is better at because they've got all of these very smart political minds from around the world all in one room together. And it's a lot of fun to hear people who really understand politics and what's going on with like what's going on in Iran with the elections going on over there. I had no idea there was elections happening in Iran. And then the level of detail they're able to get into with people on the ground there is just fascinating. Just like we do here from, as, as geeks from around the world, they do with, you know, politically minded savvy with folks nerds from around the world. Around the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Political nerds um, who also didn't get laid in high school. So we have this shared kind of DNA of, you know. <laughs> Speak for yourself. There's camaraderie <laughs> <Yeah>. and misery. <laughs> so... Um, why Amazon, Heyman, why, why Amazon is naming its warehouse robots after Muppets? Heyman? I'm not sure. It just basically pacifies them. Like, come on, Kermit. Well, you, you shared the article. Yeah, you no, I read mean, it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, they're actually naming some of their robots after Bert and Ernie. Uh, I'm, they haven't actually named anyone after Kermit yet. But I think they said that they wanted to sort of make it more friendlier. But I think, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> That's all I felt. Like, unless they own, do they own Disney, Sesame Street, Amazon? No. 
No, right? Yeah. It, I don't know what the psychology is. The whole thing is. M- does MGM well, own think, it? No, I don't no. think MGM owned it, but it does make you feel better that you lost your job to Ernie or it, Bert. And, and, it, and it makes you seem like an a-hole if you beat up Bert or Ernie. Oh, it's, oh that's true, too. Yeah. That's a good point. You don't want to be seen bad in front of your kids. That's true. Yeah. It's um, just weird. And you don't want to speak. Yeah, you don't want to be speaking bad about Bert or Ernie at home. So that's clever. A very uh, clever strategy. Somebody actually yeah, said confuser. that's the best marketing for Robotics 101. In the article, uh, I may you'll I okay. We're just shifting gears real quickly here. Crypto price alert Bitcoin and Ethereum in danger after shock China dump warning, according to Forbes. After reports, former Bitcoin and Ethereum miners in China have been dumping GPUs. Analysts are have warned crypto prices are in danger. What do you think, Ame? I think that's basic. Donna here, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Donna. I yeah, would say, I would say that's old news already. I mean, the the miners are out of China. The all the machines yep. have been exported. I think that's two weeks old, and I don't trust too much about uh, Forbes. Many of the people are paid uh, are paid authors there. So I think that that's old news. I do think there was an impact. The hash rate has migrated to other places. U.S. will be a a, a major beneficiary of that. Um, um, States like Texas have been opening up their arms to miners and are passing uh, uh, favorable regulatory um, structures there. Yeah, and looking at the Bitcoin chart at the moment, that's an ugly chart. That chart looks like it could fall. It's at 32,000, and that chart stands a good chance of dropping down to the next support point of 18,700 which would be a near 50% drop from where it is now. And that's harsh. That would be really, and that but looks like credit, it's heading credit, that way. Credit, yeah. That was Kieran's prediction, right? 18,000. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think it would be good if it did that. I mean, I've, I've been really clear out, get rid of all the weak hands. And that, that I think would be the point at which, and the timing would be about right for institutional investors to start to have to had time to actually start getting this on their balance sheet, get everything organized. So, I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be at all concerned if it drops there. It also, coincidentally, takes it back to the four year moving average, which is one of the only yeah. truths about Bitcoin is it is a four year cycle. So, um, I, I you know at the beginning of the you know, in April when I first got into this, I said, look, I think by the end of the year it's going to be somewhere between eighteen thousand and a hundred thousand, and had no idea which direction it's going to go. It wasn't clear back then. I think now I agree with that. So, uh, I haven't interest? full disclosure. I haven't traded in like ten years, but I did do a ton of technical. And the simple long term, yeah, that's that's where this is going. It's correcting down to the the real trend, which will be eighteen point something. Maybe but that's the previous if you kind of technical, te- technical analysis that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other, but that, but that, that, yeah, the thing that's a weird is, looking. That's a weird looking bear flag that is going through right yeah, now. That looks to, to all. Otherwise, it looks yeah, very yeah. deceptive. Yeah, if you zoom yep. out to all and put a log scale on, then you get a much different yep. picture. Remember yeah, today, that's, that's, we are 300 year, 300% up net right now, year on year still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm I just mean, talking, I'm, I'm talking about yeah. the, 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 in the past, I'm looking at the all, but the past month, that little downward triangle shape it's making is n- not optimistic uh, 
not not leaving much cause for optimism, but we'll see. No, uh, exactly. I mean, it's, and, and what's what's yeah. interesting in that period, Tyler, is that in that same period where Bitcoin's not looking so good, is the Bitcoin dominance, i.e., the percentage of the crypto market the Bitcoin market cap represents, has been steadily climbing. So it tends to be that when when Bitcoin's having a bad day, everything else is having a worse day. Yeah, I I'm wondering what kind of a lot of it is news driven as well. So we'll see if anything big happens. So remember, if it so, goes to eighteen thousand, we're still we're still doubled in the last year. Yeah, so yeah. That, and which I'm, is, wait, I'm. It's it's crazy how I'm, um, over overhyped people get. <laughs> yeah. So other fantastic headlines happening at the moment. Um, Heyman, you sent in this one that tobacco research tweet researchers have edited the tobacco plant to grow with fewer harmful compounds. Findings not tobacco, cannabis. Well, your article says oh, tobacco. Sorry. I said tobacco as well. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah. Findings pave way for potentially altering the plants to make them healthier, removing problematic compound or increasing beneficial ones like they have done with meat, as we talked about recently, where they can, these lab grown meats can change the molecular profile to have more omega-3 fats and less omega-6 fats, making it actually <laughs> less unhealthy and more healthy for you. And uh, uh, it makes sense. They could do the same in doing genetic uh, genetic modifications on plants to make you know plants healthier as well. Mm-hmm. Very interesting concept. Yeah. I was chuckling at the image of an organic cigarette pack <laughs> coming forward to a store near healthy you. Healthy GMO. <laughs> yeah. The Vietnam to pilot virtual currency as crypto thrives in the gray zone of Vietnam uh, using cryptocurrencies to make purchases is illegal, but they are still actively bought as investment instruments. And just tweeting that one out. Thank you to Sarah for that one. And keeping in the South China Sea neighborhood uh, to capture Taiwan, Chinese forces might attack from several directions. For many years, Taiwanese defense planners assumed that if China if and when China invades, the main Chinese force would sail across the 100-mile Taiwanese Strait. And now they're thinking they might actually try and surround us because we are an island. What an interesting breakthrough that is. The submarines. For people that want historical yeah. context on this, a lot of this has worked out in the 50s and 70s with stuff. Look up uh, anything about the island of Formosa. Um, a lot of things yep. we call Taiwan now used to be called Formosa, and that's where a lot of the things, right. it's actually a big item for the JFK debates and stuff, was how much we're going to defend Taiwan if something goes wrong. Now, I'm going to reveal something. This is a bit of breaking news that I, you've not heard, probably heard this anywhere, and if you have, let me know. But I heard from somebody who knows that in the event that Taiwan gets really worried um, and if, by the way, if China at- does attack Taiwan, that Taiwan will launch missiles to where? Does anyone know where? So I can Beijing, test to see if you know right, where. Just a little bit of distance away, and they've got the tactic. No. no, 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 no. If if China attacks Taiwan, Taiwan will launch missiles at where? North Korea. No. No. What's what's the most population dense? Uh, Hong Kong? Part their border. No. I'm no. no, 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 no,
provo- uh, given all clearance to take over Taiwan in a defensive posture, of course. Ooh. But then there could be no mistake as to why America can commit completely to uh, taking over Taiwan in a pre-arranged. This is apparently pre-arranged. The, 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 that when the nearest, the nearest U.S. base is in Okinawa. That's why everything in Taiwan is running on the American but, but, standard. I brought this up but, earlier. But Cheryl, no, no. Taiwan's not going to attack Japan. Yeah. They're going to attack America because America's in on this with them and, and America's going to defend them. It's like the Gulf uh, of Tonkin. Attack... There's a lot of this right, shit but that it, goes down historically. Anyway, so mark my words, because uh, I can say this and the person who said this to me cannot say it because they know. And they that they can't wait. So China attacked Taiwan. Taiwan will attack Guam. No, hmm? well, it's a Correct. fake attack. It's it's kind of like a, a let's fake like attack. A, they it, will provoke America it, into taking Taiwan. If yeah. if China attacked Taiwan over Taiwan's attempt at sovereignty, and something left from Taiwan, that would actually be China attacking Guam. That's how they it's play this fancy. chess. So. Um, the article, though, is about from again from Donna's favorite outlet, Forbes, uh, which everyone knows has the best um, uh, unscrupulous uh, uh, journalists. That uh, this is coming from David Axe, uh, in the he calls himself aerospace and defense. I read about ships, planes, tanks, drones, missiles, and satellites, and he says for many years Taiwan thought about you know that China would come across the hundred mile Taiwan Strait, but thinking is changing as People's Liberation Army grows more powerful. Uh, a researcher at the Institute of National Security and Defense in Taipei this month warned about what Taipei Times calls multi-pronged am- amphibious operations. It's now plausible for the PLA to attack Taiwan along multiple axes. Uh, the more different directions the Chinese come from, the harder it would be for Taiwanese forces to organize an effective defense. There would be obvious reasons for the PLA to aim for southern, southwestern Taiwan. That's where the island's most accessible beaches are. But the rudimentary state of Chinese amphibious forces until recently was another factor. And it's a really interesting article that I, w- I think I just did tweet out. But let me make sure I tweeted it out. Now I have. So there you go. It's on the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And I'm going on the record with another prediction. Uh, although this one, I hope I we never have to find out if I'm right or wrong. Um, Poppy sent in a fantastic article uh, in the previous time zone that I'm just resharing now, also just sending it to the Twitter account, that a camera, a special camera, a, a, a graphene camera, images the activity of living heart cells using a novel device made from carbon atoms and a laser researchers captured real-time electrical signals from muscle tissues. Fancy. Right? I thought you'd like that, Chris. And because we are electronic beings after all, and those electronic signals start uh, in, ostensibly in our computer, in the brain, and work its way down to our um, muscles. And it's a really long article from Wired, but uh, it's a when McAllister McGuire from Stanford University Uh, bought a lot of fertilized chicken eggs from Trader Joe's. McGuire didn't study chickens. He's a chemist, and he was buying eggs because he was developing a device for imaging electrical activity in beating hearts. Chicken embryo hearts just happened to be well-suited for the testing. 
And he says things didn't go so well in a proof of principle experiment described in June. He and a group of physicists from UC Berkeley detailed how they created and ultimately successfully used a camera for recording electrical activity in living cells, which can be hard to monitor across large tissues in real time using other methods. It's not an optical camera. It's one made from carbon atoms and lasers. And to build it, they started with an extremely thin sheet of carbon made of a single layer of atoms arranged in a honeycomb pattern. You know, like you and your kids do on the weekend. And it's called graphene. And graphene's reflexivity changes when it is exposed to electrical fields, something I'm sure Chris knows all about. It becomes either more like a mirror that reflects light very well or more like a dark object that does not reflect light at all. And you can see the actual device in this article. If you're really interested, we just tweeted it out from the news Twitter account. Really long article. And McGuire is now working on a medical de- uh, as a medical device engineer. And they're still excited about their research. So they're waiting to see whether there's a success at Stanford and Berkeley will advance it. And they have a lot of fondness for the whole idea. And they think it would be awesome for somebody to take it forward, he says. It's kind of an interesting development and tweeted that out. Biden wants the FCC to fix net neutrality, but it can't. Not yet. It has other things it has to do before they can fix all this net neutrality uh, spaghetti mess. Um, because there's uh, Biden hasn't nominated a fifth commissioner to break the two, two deadlock between Democrats and Republicans. So, so there's a little bit of a problem. But they just, um, no doubt they have plans to nominate the fifth commissioner for the FCC so that they can break this tie. And then then they can move forward with Biden's plans to stop uh, or to reinstate net neutrality. Thank God. And we talked about the soundtrack for your next YouTube video uh, using an AI composer called Dynascore. Fantastic name. Already five retweets and 11 likes, and and it's a brilliant startup. Uh, Check it out. And California rule bans elementary schools from students from campuses if they refuse to wear a mask in California. And I'm sure some people are going to be very upset about that. So (laughs) the new state rules in (laughs) California... Michael's cracking up. (laughs) (laughs) And we know who those people are. Uh, New state rules in California would require kindergarten through 12th grade students. That's basically everybody under the age of 17 to wear a face mask inside classrooms and buildings or be banned from entering the school. Students denied entry to their campus for refusing to wear a mask would be provided with an alternative form of education. Uh, The regulations state. The rule proposes exceptions be made for students with special health needs or disabilities. The LA Times noted that students who forgot their masks must be provided a face covering. Local school districts would adopt more rules on top of the required state COVID-19 measures. And the new regulations follow federal guidance released last week that let states set guidelines for how school districts return to the fall amid the lingering COVID-19 pandemic. And you're going to see a whole bunch of viral videos uh, when school comes back into session the first week of September of a whole lot of angry parents. <laughs> this kids, uh, these kids uh, are going to throw up some really strange fashion choices later on in life. Just I, I'm, not, I'm not all that sure about that, guys. I mean, I just sent Tyler an article. There's 10 kids on life support in Mississippi right now. You know? 
Hey. Ah, but you got a lot of lot of parents who feel like it's you know their grandpappies died at the ba- Battle of the Bulge so that they don't have to wear a mask. So <laughs> you know. Oh my God! This you know I'm just no fucking comment. But yeah, it's Michael. You know what I'm talking I about? Absolutely, do a hundred thousand billion percent. freedom. That's the thing, the thing is, is the thing is, is it's not just limited to that. Just go to Vegas. You know, go go anywhere else and it's you know i mean i I, i'd love to say that you know i have spent a ton of time in the south and i respect it uh but like it's someone asked the question in the med tech rooms like what would this have been if this was our kids instead of the seniors and so now we may have to ask that question my two kids are sick right now and i'm scared shitless and that's the thing about it is like you have you have to look at it like i'm i'm fully vaxxed i've been fully vaxxed for months um from both Pfizer and the blood of Christ. And quite frankly, I mean, <laughs> have they both run through, through a, a clinical trial? or just <laughs> One has gone through clinical trials and the other literally has been here since the dawn of time. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm blessed in both of them. And I, I got the, uh, the variant here in, in Los Angeles. Um, and it's like, it's it's crazy because I still can't like I still can't smell or taste anything, which is wild. I've been like kind, re- kind of glad we skipped lunch, Mike. I've been. <laughs> I've but been you had re- the blood of Christ. I I've mean, been. Blood of Christ it's funny. Must be at least ninety nine percent. I've been. I've been retraining my. Uh, well, that's the thing. Well, here's the interesting thing about it is that um, yeah, I don't. Well, first of all, I'm not sure that I have it because I went and got tested and it came back negative. But the thing is, I lost all of my taste and all of my smell, which are like. And you very think you don't have it? Those the are tests, very. The tests were very inaccurate, especially. It, the yeah, they're very inaccurate for the variant. And so it's like it came back negative. But to me, considering I lost my smell and taste uh, a, a week and a half ago, I, I, uh, I'm pretty sure that that's I mean, that's pretty easy indicator sorry to hear that must suck what's oh, it no. like, like when you eat do you just like not taste anything well here here's weird? the here's the weird side effect about that um and i've been experimenting and, and trying out all sorts of stuff um first of all i don't really eat i forget to eat and this is a weird thing that i didn't realize would happen is when you don't have taste or smell you literally don't even think about food. Like, I just don't even, I, I forget to eat. There's many, the many diet. days. The COVID, the COVID diet. There's many days over the past week and a half. I, well, that's what I told my mom. I was like, it's a really weird, awesome crash diet. Um, just joking. No, but no, no. It's, I said just jokingly, but um, it's crazy I, because at, there's days that go by where I just forget to eat. And I've been retraining my smelling and what I think I, I bought some really sweet, spicy pickles. And so I, I smell the jar every day. And um, it's funny because the and, and I also bought um, I bought really strong things. I bought an onion. I bite into the onion every day. Um, yep. and, the, and it's really interesting retraining my smells. And they're slowly coming back one at a time. But it's like most of the world is a blank palette. But. Now there's certain things, popcorn, onions, and pickles. Like, I can smell those things very strongly now. Um, Michael, challenge durian now. Durian. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anyways, I, I think that everyone really in, – and the other thing I would say is, like I said, I'm fully vaccinated, and it's very interesting because I think if I wasn't vaxxed, 
that this could have been a lot, 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 lot worse, like just way more dangerous. Um, and the way it happened was so quick, too. That's the other thing. Which, which vaccine did you have, Michael? Uh, Pfizer. So you had double vaccine Pfizer months ago, but you got recently affected with like some recent variation that didn't pick up. In the exactly. Test. Exactly. Um, it's, and it's, it's pretty wild, but I really do believe that the vaccination um, is super, super important because when it's, it's not just me. Um, and, and, and to be fair, to be, I do think it's the variant and I've discussed it with my neighbors because it swept through our, this is a really interesting thing that happened during the actual uh, pandemic, no one in my neighborhood in, uh, no one in my neighborhood got COVID like my whole neighborhood. Um, it's a gated community, but no, none of us got COVID. Our, uh, all the kids in the neighborhood played outside together. Everyone, uh, you know, still walking their dogs around the neighborhood. Everyone just, we isolated. Nobody left the neighborhood without masks on and nobody got COVID, but afterwards, and we all got vaxxed when the vax came out, and then this past two weeks, everyone in my neighborhood, this this variant, if that's what it is, I don't know if it's that or a nasty flu. Either way, that thing just hit the whole neighborhood in like a day. It was really, really wild how it just it, it runs rampant and all of us are vaxxed. So, yeah, I think it's really important to get vaccinated because who, who knows what that could have what kind of havoc that could have wreaked without the vaccinations, to be honest. Hey, Michael, sadly enough, in India, two well-known people, uh, one being Sashi Tharoor, this politician who used to be the Undersecretary General of the UN before he moved back to India, as well as a musician in uh, uh, Chennai, they got uh, uh, hospitalized for quite a few weeks, and they were fully vaccinated, actually. Yeah. So it's crazy, this whole thing. And that's the thing. It's when, That's why I say it's... In my opinion, the vaccination is a no-brainer because I, I, I'm pretty sure that, that as brutal as that thing was on day one and how quickly it wiped through the neighborhood, had we not all been vaxxed, I'm pretty sure several of us would have ended up dead. And we do have a couple of seniors in the neighborhood. And Did, I mean, it, that did it hit was... you like a train? Like it literally you're standing one day and yeah. like, boom, like, holy shit, I'm sleeping on the couch all day for some reason. It was, it, it was, it was really... I, I haven't experienced a flu like that, I don't think, ever, which is why I'm so sure, even though that test came back negative. And it's weird because it came back negative uh, for all my neighbors that I talked to who got tested. They all came back negative. But this is if it's a flu, it, it I think it's the variant. But it was like this. I, I was like, hmm, I have a tickle in my nose. And then the next day, literally the next day, I woke up three hours late. I was in insane sweats. I was shivering like crazy. Wasn't sure what was going on with my, my body. I couldn't get out of the bed. Um, I mean, it just, it, and I'm, and I'm an athlete. I mean, I like, I'm an, I'm a gymnast. I'm an athlete. Like I, one of these, you know, I'm a, I'm a stunt person and all this type all of right. stuff. So it was just crazy how it knocked me on my ass for that first two days. I just couldn't move. And then, but it, again, like I said, it was very hard and very fast. And, it, and my neighbors all experienced the same thing. That first two days, we were just, just, you're either, it felt like death. And then after that two days, though, we were all pretty much mostly back to normal. And then by, and like the, all of us are pretty much 100% at this point, except a lot of us are still missing our smell and our taste. 
And so the consistency that I'm seeing from this damn thing is that it, it literally punches a hole in your chest and either you survive that punch or you don't. And so I'm thinking because we were all vaxxed up, that's why it, it kind of passed through us so quickly. And we were just kind of basically fine after that couple days. But I, I can only imagine what, what that thing is going to do to people who aren't vaxxed. So, so yeah. all those people in Santa Monica on the beach with stuff going in, foodies and everything, even if they're fully vaxxed, they could be like permanently robbing their food and flavor taste yeah. for a long time. And, and that's so. the thing is like, and, and the thing about that, and this is what I would say about that. I'd say probably half of my neighbors, their taste and, and smell has come all the way back. But then you got people like me who, you know, it's been two weeks and I'm still retraining my, my, my senses to come back. I can taste things, but it's really strange. It's like the palate has been restricted. So I can taste things and know that they're sweet or spicy or like those types of sweeping things, but not specifics. Like if I eat, it is going to sound weird, but if I had popcorn and jalapeno in the same bite, I can tell they're different textures and I can tell why they're different, but I can't, but they don't taste like anything. Michael, <laughs> if you need any help, let us know. Okay. All right. You could DM me uh, because a good thing is that with vaccines, the long COVID symptoms are a little bit reduced and the duration of those symptoms are also less. Uh, but we could talk more if you want later. Oh, sorry, it's all, I'm sorry. I mean, room. Yeah, sorry. It, it, it's all good. It's all good. Like I, like I said, it's all. I really, I just the only reason I was even bringing it up is because we were talking about, uh, we were talking about it just now with the people not wanting to wear masks. And what I'm saying is that, and as far as the Santa Monica thing and all of that, I still don't think, and and this is going to sound insane what I'm about to say, but if you're vaxxed up as much as we are here in LA, I mean, it's something like 80% of LA is vaxxed. I don't think it's like after going through this, I I would rather people didn't go through it, but if they're, if they're, if they're vaxxed, I, I do think that they'll, they'll get through it pretty quickly and, and without too much like damage. So I understand why people are, a little more especially with our our governor being like yeah we don't we, we don't have to wear a mask anymore let alone our president so it's you know it's an interesting conversation to be had okay hey, but michael that's the reason i brought up those two uh, well-known people in india being hospitalized for many weeks even though they were vaccinated and so on so and it's, it's, it's not gonna, like yeah it's definitely going to hit different people uh, there's always, yeah, there's always going to be those, you know, that might, that smaller number of people who are impacted in a grave way. And that's the risk. And that's why we have to be careful. And, and this is where humanity comes into play too. Cause a lot of this whole my freedoms bullshit, that's, that's, that's a selfish way of looking at things. And this is a big problem that we have here in the West. We can't, we, we just need to be more human and, and and just COVID about, insurance yeah, is coming. Care asshole. more about no. the community. No, but I mean, so along those lines, we spent six and a half months in Singapore and just came back uh, about uh, two weeks ago. And boy, there the people are so conscious about societal good first before they get carried away with you know personal freedom and all this BS, right. especially no, when but, it affects other people. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are tracking now. There's they're talking about the de- the after the Delta variant is the Gamma variant, right? That seems to be yeah. emerging as well. 
So who knows what these tests, how much they're tracking each variant. It's a, it's a, but it's, it's an, this, I will say this, and again, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm really happy that it's happening right now because we need to be, we needed something like this for the world to kind of like prepare for this kind of shit to happen. Like we weren't ever going to be ready for these types of things. Imagine it being much worse and us being any less prepared. It would have wiped out humanity. And I think that it's a good thing it happened with something that was a bit aggressive, but not as violent in terms of death. Um, Because it gave us an opportunity to not be fucking idiots and kind of universally look at, okay, how do we deal with this type of thing when it does happen? And and what kind of variants we're seeing, the variants that we're seeing split off right now and how fucking aggressive they are is wild. I mean, it is really wild that these things are attacking the way they're attacking. And so I think it's interesting and we're going to learn a lot of important data from this, this go around that's going to help us uh, fight off, you know, when these things happen again in the future and they absolutely will. So it, this is important. It's an important first run. And there's a lot that's the reason to... that's the reason why uh, Tyler lives in Thailand. And we, we had this conversation before with the smallpox. <laughs> yeah, there's a I lot more. The app... yep, sorry, Tyler. There's a lot more doomsday preppers than ever before now. <laughs> yep. Well, there's a lot. We're a lot closer to doomsday than ever before. Which is why I'm (laughs) Can you can you imagine uh, if Ebola um, that was in Africa and killed the thousands, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, have spread like COVID did? Oh yeah. It it did have uh, 50 percent. If you caught Ebola, there is 50 50 percent of dying. So that's how bad it was. Can you imagine that, that? In that case, that's. No, you, but that's why it didn't spread. It was because people who got it died re- relatively quickly. And they once you receive it, there wasn't a long hidden incubation period where you were accidentally infecting everyone you know. You Once you got it, you learned rather quickly that you had it. The, the real dangerous thing is, uh, as this article that Ken just shared, that the Ken, and I'm catching up to 10 hours ago, but Ken, you shared this article about the World Health Organization Committee released a gene editing recommendations aimed at preventing unfair and potentially dangerous applications of experimental gene editing techniques. Gee, I wonder what they're thinking about, including altering DNA for enhanced athletic ability. Well, that's the least of the worries. The real big worry is, as everyone who's big into the gene editing game knows, as the absolute top dogs in gene editing of George Church at Harvard and Craig Ventner, the first person to do the human genome sequence, both I sat with personally over an entire weekend together with Elon Musk at his office where they made it perfectly clear <clears throat> that the super cons- incredible dystopian nightmare on our horizon is that <clears throat> gene editing will enable um, somebody, and somebody did do this to prove the point, David in Alberta, University of Alberta, did do uh, this dystopian use case of re-doing uh, smallpox, essentially, but uh, with a very long incubation period where people would walk around for two weeks, and you would have, in the case of smallpox, about a 35% mortality rate. And a very similar are not uh, infectious ability of like the uh, recent variations, but with a 35% mortality rate and a similar incubation period. And that's really problematic because if somebody genetically engineers a long incubation period, 
So you're carrying around this thing and infecting people for two weeks without knowing it. And then you get it. Then, of course, you're going to sit home. Um, but it's that incubation period that really uh, will become very dangerous. If somebody makes smallpox with a long incubation period, we're going to be screwed. And in fact, the the Bill Gates Foundation, Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, did a sim computer AI simulation to calculate the potential, ca you know, mortality, you know, aggregate mortality of this. And they calculated 30 percent of the world would die if this were to. Oh, come yeah. Back. So it's uh, this headline from Wall Street Journal today from Ken on stage that the World Health Organization Committee released a gene editing recommendations and that preventing unfair and potentially dangerous applications of experimental techniques of gene editing. Now you know why, because uh, putting a, a smallpox virus together is as the Sam Harris podcast very went into the huge four hour deep dive on about a month ago called Engineering the Apocalypse. Go find it on your favorite podcasting app. You're looking at about $1,000 to $10,000 worth of hardware to do this and about a grad student it, worth yeah. of skill sets. Uh, the other thing is that the history of bioweapons is not very well covered. Um, we almost spent as much on that as we did on the nuclear program. Uh, bioweapons have a very poorly documented history, and you would dig into it, you find a lot of stuff that we don't talk about. Well, the, the, the real unfortunate reality is, is that uh, everyone that I've spoken to about this since who's any kind of authority on the topic and Walter Isaacson just wrote a book on the topic where he interviews all the top genetic engineers like George Church and Craig Ventner. And they everybody concedes the point that the monitoring of this potentially happening by the U.S. intelligence agency is pretty much limited to within the continental U.S. We have very little ability to monitor this happening in other countries, you know, where they know it could be happening. Iran just enriched uranium in the past week and a half, which is incredibly more difficult than what I'm proposing technologically. Uh, okay, so real quick, real quick correction. You know, you said earlier about there's like the Guam thing with essentially which way the missiles go yes. and there's a lot of geopolitics. Bioweapons history yeah. is really fucked up. And when you actually find the history of it, it alters a lot of the historical narrative of why countries go to war because there is a very important part hmm. to that. So just all I'm just saying is there's some weird stuff behind that one. So anyway, yes, that is why I'm on a remote island in Thailand. And it's it's no joke. And the people who know the most about it are the ones who told me it's no joke. So I didn't I'm not hearing this from, you know, some third rate news outlet. I'm hearing it from the people who got the Nobel Prizes, you know, and when you have dinner with them and they tell you their deepest, darkest fears, um, you know, and they and they confirm each other's deepest, darkest fears. Um, yeah, it's something to make note of. Because the the price uh, of access to these tools is dropping just like solar panels and lithium batteries, if not faster. Actually, actually is faster. Tyler, in the, in the UK, that. it was interesting to see an article that the uh, the Guardian put out to say that, um, you know, this whole genome sequencing um, of all UK newborns would have public support. So it's it kind of the first that I'd read recently, it, like it being in the UK and being sort of, the, the mood music being towards adopting it. Hmm. I just, so I there's just a headline. Well, a headline just came out in the past 24 hours from CNBC. The world must start preparing for the next pandemic. Singapore's senior minister says the next global pandemic could happen anytime. And the world must start preparing for it now. 
Um, he chairs the G20 panel on global experts that released a report on Friday, which proposes measures to prevent outbreaks and quickly respond to any future pandemic. The measures include better and more reliable funding for the World Health Organization, as well as tapping multilateral institutions such as the World Bank and the IMF to help fund the fight against the pandemic. Here's why he's saying this. He knows what I just told you. He knows, Bill Gates knows, and this is why Bill Gates is doing many of the things he's doing kind of behind the scenes that are not obvious until you realize what I just revealed to you, that this is a very real threat that is being discussed at the G20 that is not being discussed on mainstream media at the moment because they don't want to, two things, they don't want to scare the shit out of people as I just did in this room, and they don't want to tip off bad actors, genetic hackers that within the next, if, if they made any decent amount of effort, they could get their hands on the genetic material and download the, the recipe to do smallpox from the internet, which is publicly available. So how do you go about defending, starting to create the right defense structure for what we know is likely to happen? And why do we have reasons to think this will happen? We'll just play this through for a second. <clears throat> when computers were coming into reality, they were very expensive, cost prohibitive, only available to the biggest universities and then big businesses and then small universities and small businesses. And then the PC revolution of Windows 95 gave it to everybody. And then you had computer engineers at home, computer engineering apps, and some of these dickheads made computer viruses that were incredibly lethal and took down large percentages of the network computers in the early days of uh, you know the PC revolution. And that gave birth to John McAfee and McAfee Suite and, and Bill Gates Kapinski and all of that. Bill Gates built the first viruses, if I remember. Might be. Then you have the exact same thing happening today with genetic engineering and genetic viruses, where it was only available to the biggest universities and then the biggest businesses, small universities. And the David uh, at University of Alberta. Um, proved to the point in his lab, which is not, University of Alberta is not any special lab. Um, and that was his point. And he did it using mail order genetic material from uh, uh, Germany, from Genart, G-E-N-E-A-R-T. Not that you should contact them and try and redo what he did, but um, he proved that he could do it on a budget with limited resources that anyone at a third rate university could do this. And this was five years ago. So now and anybody at a $100,000 budget. At the time, it was a $100,000 budget Way cheaper right, now. for the genetic material. Yes. Co correct. In the past five years, it's gone down an order of magnitude. So you're now talking maybe 10,000. And as Chris says, it might even be as close as 1,000 yeah, now. It's, it's, you know and, if you so, if you guys um, it's not a self promotion but if you guys click my link tree when I first joined Clubhouse one of the amazing things I discovered is the actual source code to the mRNA vaccines it's like fourteen kilobytes. <laughs> um, yeah, you can download yeah, smallpox as well. The really amazing. Tyler, after this room with things, I think I can host like a, a history of bioweapons room because there's actually a lot of information to be really relevant to this. It might be kind of an interesting follow up kind of thing. I, I spent a lot yeah. of time looking into this one. But the, the point is, is once it gets to into the layer of community colleges where anybody, you know, where ISIS or Hezbollah or pick your favorite bad guy um, has any kind of, you know, college laboratory, um, there's not much stopping them at this point. So that's why the head of the uh, Singapore um, 
Singapore senior minister who chairs, he's the chairman of the G20 panel of global experts that rele- that released the report on Friday. And he's saying we need to get the IMF involved and the World Bank involved and we got to do this now and the next pandemic's coming. And here's his quote. We don't have the luxury of waiting for COVID to be over before we start preparing for the next pandemic because the next pandemic can come anytime. He sounds like uh, he's concerned. He's worried about something. And he is because he knows exactly what we're talking about right now. Gain of and function, Bill Gates 731, all sorts of nastiness. Yeah, so we've got to use our current effort to tackle COVID to also build up capabilities required to head off the next pandemic because this next pandemic will make COVID look like a paper cut. It's exactly and in fact, not saying. a paper cut. It's, it's in, in not, not that COVID is a paper cut. Paper, COVID was actually, believe it or not, with all respect to everybody who uh, ha- passed away and, to, and with all respect to everybody who you know lost loved ones it's in some weird way it might their loss might be to the gain of the world because it could be uh, we learned so much through covid that will actually end up saving us if we had not had covid this uh smallpox engineered attack could be we're, we're also far, looking far, at far, M- far, far mrna worse. based vaccines for cancer and for the common correct food. And the common well, cold, well, so it's the, potentially really exciting. Well, Evan, they'll, you're exactly right. They'll edit this, out the this small why, receptor, right? <laughs> right, but that and this is why um, Gates is so interested in the mRNAs and building the distribution network to establish them. Because it doesn't do you any good if you have to make all the vaccines in one location. You won't be able to get them out fast enough. So you have to build a network of them to distribute them. You mean like 5G? Recreate them. You mean like when Bill Gates is putting 5G network? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, like um, that. Yeah, like think, that. And I think it's also very, very important that the countries are open about anything that happens in their borders and that there is a lot of cooperation. So one of the things that I have seen being in Ethiopia and the Ebola, it didn't come here. It was in West Africa. But when it starts spreading in West Africa and the Ebola, and one of the things that happened, I know that it was poor countries and then they needed support from developed countries. But a lot of the experts came in, they immediately tried to contain it and, and tried to find solutions. Even Fauci was there so many times. It's partly because the countries were open and they said, Oh my God, look at what's happening. Can you come and help? So they were really open and, and it didn't even come to East Africa just because that's what they did, even though it stayed in West Africa and killed thousands of people. So I think it's, it's, it's really important when things happen, countries are open about it and we do cooperate to contain it. So on that note, um, our friends are doing the three-minute, uh, no, <laughs> what's Heyman doing? What's uh, MedTech News. <laughs> MedTech News. Uh, but is it, he's going to start it whenever we're ready, I guess, uh, right? He's, he's already no, in there. They're, up and they're really, it's up and they're really uh, heavily focused, so it'd be nice for this crowd to bring it over there with some questions. Yeah, it's up and running. Yeah, he, so he's... And then is there, if we click on the title of this room, we, you can see all of the upcoming rooms. And we should have both Heyman's MedTech News. That's going right now. And then I believe, yeah, that's the one we're going to go to next. So let me just blast through the big, I, here, my apologies to everybody, because I still have 10 hours of tweets to go through. 
uh, for the, the tweets that everyone sent in the last 10 hours, I'm just seeing the ones from 10 hours ago. I haven't seen the ones from nine hours ago, eight hours ago. So I will save those for tomorrow. And I have 20 to blast through in the meantime, which is uh, a new detection of COVID-19 via automatic artificial intelligence cough analysis. It's a, so you like Shazam for coughs that can tell you if your cough is actually a COVID-19 cough or not. Is that genius or what? A team of researchers has submitted a system to the cough soundtrack uh, of the diagnosing, diagnosing COVID-19 using acoustics challenge, a COVID-19 cough analysis detector. And, I just retweeted it. And by doing so, Thank you. we can imagine other application of it, like detecting other disease. Correct. We've been dying to use this uh, as a simple respiratory monitor for our little low-cost ventilator. So this is perfect. We're going to use a phone and build out an app. So they already Love got it. it. It's kind of genius. So uh, a similar kind of genius thing is... Busting tree poachers, uh, tree poachers stole prized lumber from a national forest. The tree's DNA proved it. In a first for federal criminal trial, prosecutors used tree DNA to prove the remains matched that of the timber illegally sold to local mills. From the scene of the crime. Tree DNA. Because, as the trees told me when I was on Mushrooms, the same living thing that causes you to grow is the same living thing in us that causes us to grow and to live and to die. And uh, that, that has stuck with me. And then I found out that trees have DNA. And then I thought, holy shit. They told me that when I was on mushrooms. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> where's the, where's the sound, soundtrack? Oh, the, <laughs> the X-Files. Here we go. I took mushrooms. I was about 20 years old. I had no idea what to expect. I thought I was going to see rainbows and unicorns and crazy shit. I really had no idea. Nobody told me what to expect. Certainly nobody told me what was actually about to happen, which is the trees started motherfucking talking to me tele telepathically. Because no that was not in the realm of possibilities. Nobody suggested anything in that realm of possibility. That all I knew was what I had seen on Grateful Dead posters at that time. And... You know, talking with Mother Nature telepathically uh, was not communicated through the Grateful Dead posters I had seen previously. So I was quite surprised that the trees were telling me anything, let alone things that I clearly had never conceptually uh, considered before. Let alone the most mind-blowing ideas I've ever had in my life, which I don't think came from when within my cranium inventory. So uh, then to find out that doing some investigation, that indeed what the trees were trying to tell me is scientifically true that uh, what they said, as I just repeated, um, that the same thing that, it, you know, that is causing you as humans to grow and age and die is the same thing in us that causes us to grow and age and die. And uh, turns out trees have DNA, everybody. Are we in the there book of go. Genesis, like the tree of life, Tyler? We did talk about <laughs> Genesis earlier, <laughs> We might right? be. We might be. Um yeah, so 37 now speak hey, hey oh my this world. is No, no. But by that could not have been a better segue for this next article, Dave. 3,700-year-old Babylonian tablet translated changes history forever. <laughs> oh, the Babylonian Empire, the, <laughs> Do we have the, some in the role of Nebuchadnezzar. What does it say? What an, 
What an amazing segue. The ancient Babylonian clay tablet was translated by researchers revealing something that has now changed human history forever. Back in 2017, an Australian researcher managed to crack the code on an ancient Babylonian clay tablet that forever changed the way we view the the human world. Why? Well, because um, they now realize that this Babylonian clay tablet, which is 3,700 years old, um, very accurately um uh is uh doing trigonometry uh, a form of babylonian tri- trigonometry which is more accurate trigonometry than uh, that has a clear advantage over our own and it predates hipparchus the greek who is attributed as creating trigonometry it predates him by a thousand years so now they have firm b- belief that um, the Babylonians, 1,000 years before the Greeks, actually had understood trigonometry. Still hated it and in high so, school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but now you have somebody new to blame for yeah. creating Ancient it. wisdom. Yeah, it's, it's out there. And a clay tablet has broken the, the Da Vinci Code. And just tweeting that one out. Google director of AR. This is a hot one, hot news. AR is a huge, hot battleground between Google and Facebook and Apple. And now the headline is today, Google's head of AR leaving to join Facebook. Oh, boy. Woo. And I told you these, um, these, this, this is you. These tech companies huge. are not fucking around. Well, for not fucking around, they sure are half-assing it with things. The amount of things that so the, the, they have the, the Deloitte studies there and saying it's going to be the largest consumer market ever. Do, burn all your money on this. And so they did. And they're like, wait, we didn't make all the money the very first quarter that we launched this stuff. Cut back all the R&D divisions. But then there's also a wait, but we still want to be in this long term. It's like they can't make up their minds about whether they're going to go all in or whether they're going to just wait to see whatever other tech giant does. It's the most weird shit ever working in the industry. But th- this is a blow to Google on VR and a and a boost to Facebook. But by the way, this relates to previous articles we've read over the past couple of weeks that this former truce of re- there there was previously this kind of um, unofficial agreement, or actually rather official agreement, that these big tech companies would not poach talent from each other, and that's now been broken. And that headline came out a couple of weeks ago. And so that's why you're seeing articles like this, like uh, Zuckerberg has no love for Google no more that Google's holding on to all those juicy data filled cookies. And so Facebook's recruiters are gunning for not a surprise that that would be their first pick is their head of VR. Get in We're not colluding. Please don't Google. regulate us. <laughs> yeah. do, do you think Mark well, would they, have got in personally involved in that one? I've got no visibility, Tyler, but do you think is the woman yeah. the big guys? Yeah. Fuck yeah. For, I mean, as soon as this whole like truce melted down, like the headline said a week or two ago, you, the first thing they're thinking is Google, we need to stop Google. Google and Apple are the two potential big com- com- competitors to Facebook's VR plans. And Facebook is now going to, because they hate Apple and Google so much, and they want to make sure they win the VR space, they are going to spend and double pay anybody on those teams in the AR VR teams in Google and, and Apple and do whatever it takes to get those people to leave those teams and come to Facebook. Whole lot of stock. 
Um, Heyman sent in one that he's going to read in his uh, med tech room about an Australian scientist develop a pain-free blood sugar test for diabetics. We'll let him do that over there. Snapchat new study shows that AR and VR has influenced the shopping behavior of consumers. Um, Gen Z, the product testing frustration. Here, I'm going to tweet this out so you can see this graph. How strongly do you agree or disagree with the following statements about shopping since COVID? I have found it frustrating not being able to try clothes, accessories, makeup, online, blah, blah, blah. Gen Z's say 51%, millennials 55%. The headline is all about Snapchat's new study shows that how AR and VR has influenced the shopping behavior of consumers. Almost three in five millennials always share their screenshot with a friends and family about an item they are interested to get reviews. And imagine how this will play out with AR and VR. It's going to change the game in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And U.S. adults are mixed on AR and VR in the workplace, according to MorningBrew.com. In a new poll, U.S. adults uh, as investment in enterprise AR and VR grows, workers are on the fence currently about using AR and VR in the workplace. That's another headline. The one just place where it would actually have economic value immediately with things. The tool set is <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that situation with the iPad back in the days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's machine learning is the newest leader in fraud prevention. Makes sense because uh, humans are easily fooled by uh, you know attacks aimed at humans, and machine learning is the newest leader in fraud prevention. And we talked about the new tool to allow you to see the difference in Google results from around the world because they do tailor the results geographically. And um, what else we got? Uh, Chinese companies are aggressively buying up land in Asia and Africa with the total land area acquired over the last decade equal to all of Sri Lanka or Lithuania. And this is coming from Nikkei. Thank you to Cheryl. And you can see the graph of the types of land they are buying, agricultural, forestry, and mining. In a lot of forestry in the UK, a lot of agriculture in the US, and a mix of all of those things in Japan. And you can see that beautiful graph yourself from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Tina, are you with us? You shared this really awesome article about uh, the worst of both worlds. What a great headline. GoPuff is considered to be the worst um, of the gig economy employers. Uh, GoPuff's gig workers have bosses and no benefits. Gig workers on the rapidly growing delivery platform popular among college students say its business model shouldn't be considered gig work at all. And if you thought the gig economy companies were taking advantage of the workforce before, GoPuff says, hold my beer, because we are going to teach these college students a thing or two about being a gig economy worker. And uh, you can read that one yourself. And the and then Cheryl sent in another one that the uh, everyday IT tools that can offer God mode to hackers, attackers are increasingly attuned to the power and potential of remote management software. And that's very true. And that's how they're getting into a lot of systems currently. In fact, one of the big systems that was hacked, I think it was the meat placking uh, hack, was because somebody posed as an employee and asked the IT security chief for the credentials to get into the remote management software system, which then enabled them to pretend they were an employee with all of the coworkers and get all the other kind of passwords and stuff they needed to start the data. In other news, um, the lockup, the CrowdStrike CEO with stuff was last seen trolling around the foreign policy crowd going, oh, no, there's no possible way that people could prevent interns from uploading GitHub passwords. 
didn't cause a solar wind tax. So the, Mr. FireEye is uh, tromping around some uh, uh, foreign policy circles to say, let's see if we get some state-based people on this. So uh, it, it, it's interesting seeing how incompetence over decades for security, for cybersecurity, is now being spun as a nation-state thing that, oh, wait, this wasn't our fault that we our MDAs cut all of our internal IT divisions for decades. And now it's like a nation-state security policy. It's, it's absolutely insane how seeing how people can turn incompetence into, you know, dollars it's amazing and then two two quick ones here uh on china cal had one about why china is going after its tech giants uh, just days after its lucrative listing on the new york stock exchange china ride hailing giant dd was hit um and then the next headline helps figure it out cnbc reporting that china tech regulation um, that Alibaba, Tencent, and Xiaomi are backers of the big U.S. IPOs, there, that there's an interesting coincidence that's being noted amongst the, the tech companies that are being hit the hardest by Beijing. The Chinese tech giants that Beijing is cracking down on are backers of big U.S. IPOs. China's anti-monopoly and data security crackdown has crept into restrictions on U.S. IPOs, in which some of the country's biggest tech companies... Um, issuing American depository receipts in the U.S. since 2017. Oh, oh, sorry, Tencent is by far the the dominating corporate shareholder with significant stakes in half of the 25 largest fundraises by Chinese companies uh, in U.S. IPOs since 2017. That's according to CNBC analysis of publicly available data accessed through wind information and S&P Capital IQ. Tencent's holdings is publicly listed company are so large they rose last year by more than the company made in profit. And as Chinese anti-monopoly and data security crackdown creeps into restrictions on US IPOs, analysis shows that some of the country's biggest tech companies are deeply invested in those overseas stocks offerings. And Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba has a few holdings in the list of 25 companies, while other major Chinese tech companies like Xiaomi, Meituan, and Baidu each have stakes in one or two of the stocks analysis found also appearing frequently, typically with smaller stakes for U.S. asset managers, BlackRock and Vanguard. So they're trying to do the analysis of who are the big backers in these Chinese companies that have done these U.S. IPOs that are now being cracked down on. And it turns out that Alibaba and Tencent are the biggest investors in those and that they're assuming that this is some way of punishing Alibaba and Tencent um, by cracking down on these. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And last but not least, um, Zappos on the future of e-commerce from Adweek. And the retailers among the latest to join the mounting trend of authentically introducing new products to followers via curated content as Zappos is getting in. This is an interesting, going uh, somebody going the other direction. Zappos is e-commerce and they want to get more into social media. So they have to figure out how to get more of the social media pizzazz into uh, making curated content and introducing new products to the followers. And it's kind of like a going the other direction where the social media is trying to become more like e-commerce. E-commerce is trying to be more like social media, which Zappos is. And, um, but that all makes sense. If you've been following us every day, as you should, I'm going to pause there and have with the 10 hours of tweets remaining, we will meet again tomorrow. Look in the, click on the title of the room to see the upcoming schedule. We're going to go over now to the med tech news. I hope you can join us there. If not, we'll see you tomorrow. For more tech news around the world, thank you to everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Okay. See you. Good night. Thank guys. you, everybody. See you over the other yep. room.